Jerry, I kind of dismissed you last week. Put my hands up now, and I'm not saying I'm infallible the way Owen used to say it. Apology accepted. And I was like, there's no fear here. No. Teams don't fear Dublin anymore. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. You're welcome along. It is Monday's OTB AM. Nathan with you this morning. It is Monday, March 6th, which makes it one day after Sunday, March 5th, which is a day, I think it's fair to say, we'll live long, long in the memory of Liverpool and Manchester United supporters. What's your favourite headline this morning? Is it the straight up 7-0? Didn't really have any interest, did they, in the Daily Mail? 7-0, simple as that. What about 7 and hell? That's a little bit better, a little bit better. Uh... I don't get this one from the sun. Tea mugs. What's that mean? Am I missing something? Tea mugs. Tea mugs. I don't get it. No, if, if it takes too much explaining, then it's not good. United undressed is the examiner. Fair enough. Kingdom of seven. You see where this is going. Liverpool seven. Manchester United nil. One of the most remarkable results we have ever seen in the history of the Premier League. Shane Hannan. I was expecting the old text, I won't lie, at about 6 o'clock this morning. <coughs> Sorry, throat. Might have COVID, might have COVID. But he's, uh, he's shown up. Good morning. How are things, guys? We all good? Tell you, you'd have a smile on your face in the morning like this. Woke up this morning, it was bright outside. What a difference it makes. Fact. Can stop Fact. taking the old vitamin D. It's like, whew, we're back. Colin Buhig is here as well. How are you? Nathan Shane, hello. There I was, watching this. What a seismic event. I didn't see this coming. Daniel Medvedev beating Novak Djokovic on Friday yeah. in the ATP 500 <laughs> Dubai semi-final. And I thought, well, the weekend's not going to get better from here. Tell you what, Fernando, Fernando Alonso getting a podium. What a, is that what we want to talk about this morning? Wow, wow, wow. What a moment at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. We have it all in the performance rankings. Um, Arsenal's double. Great weekend. Uh, two Brendan Rodgers. A tale of two. And so much to come. Because it's, it's just hard to Steve think about what of what's actually coming in the performance so, rankings. Some people, to, some people like to wait and be surprised by all of this. But no, you really can't wait because there's uh, so much to talk about. OTBAM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Here is what we have coming up. So the performance rankings. I think we know who's going to be in the red and who's going to be in the green this week. Uh, we have Daniel Harris will be talking Manchester United just after 8 o'clock. Another interesting weekend in the Allianz Football Leagues. We'll be reflecting on Derry's victory over Dublin and the scourge of diving has arrived in Gaelic football. So Anthony Moyle is going to be chatting about that. Uh, Quinny is going to be in studio looking back on the weekend's rugby. Orgy Snyman back. Jordan Larmer looking good for Leinster. And then Harriet Pryor will be with us after nine o'clock as well. Uh, talking Liverpool and, well, where has this been all season from a Liverpool point of view? Uh, get your messages in. You can watch us, of course, live on our YouTube. Uh, you can leave a comment for us there or get in touch on any of our social channels. If you're heading out and about in the car, you can, of course, listen in live every single morning on the OTB Sports app. But it is time right now to get to the performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTB AM's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. 
Gakpo in the box, fires it into the back of the net. It's Liverpool 1, Manchester United 0. Being turned into the net by Darwin Nunez. Nunez over the far side, gets the Gakpo, has a shot, hits a goal for Liverpool. Mo Salah scores for Liverpool to make it Liverpool 4, Manchester United 0. Henderson picks it up, then puts the cross in and it comes off the head of Darwin Nunez. It's a 5-5 for the boys from Liverpool. Salah finishes and that's his second goal in the afternoon. It's a super six for the Reds. The week that Firmino announces he's leaving Anfield. He's just smacked one into the back of the net, right in front of the cup, and it's bedlam down there. Yeah, this, this is a tough watch. I've got to be honest with you now. Go, what is it, seven? It's Liverpool seven, Manchester United nil. That was some top-class editing from Emma, Emma Carroll to get seven goals into 42 seconds. <laughs> Emma came in this morning and was like, I, I have great commentary from the match last night. I was like, yeah, okay, that, that, would, that would be good. How long is it? We didn't have much time. 42 seconds. I was like, ah, surely it can be shorter than that. I was like, Cullum, that's the shortest I can make it to get all the goals in. <laughs> that's like, what, six seconds per goal? That's, that's not bad at all. All right, let's avoid for as much as we can the uh, pantomime nature of all this because uh, we'll get to the, some of the comments for you, Shane, uh, in a little while. But where are we starting in the red this morning, Shane? Comments from me? I don't know, I don't know what people are talking about. Um, yeah, I think we'll start with, with Manchester United in the red. Um, never has a team probably deserved to be in the red of the performance rankings more uh, because yesterday was, well, a day that will live in infamy for Manchester United fans. They will all be going to work this morning, as you said, Nathan, uh, with a little tear in their eye uh, as they think back to those 90 minutes of, of torture and hell for Eric Ten Hag. There was moments in the first half where you're, you're watching Eric Ten Hag on the sideline, taking his notes, his usual calm demeanour. Even when they went 1-0 down and at, at half-time, you're thinking, OK, United are a second-half team, generally speaking, of, of late. But the signs were there fairly early on. Someone like Casemiro, who is, has been a, a linchpin in that United t- midfield this season, just wasn't at it. Um, I don't know if many of the United players were at it in the first half. There was a couple of chances from Rashford and Bruno and you were thinking if they'd gone in, maybe there was a chance. But then the second half was just... I don't know if you'll call it a capitulation. Maybe you will. We'll, we'll get to Liverpool later capitulation on. Capitulation is being kind. Yeah. Like, this was one of the most embarrassing, humiliating, shambolic 45 minutes that any team have ever put in in the history of the Premier League. If you look at the all-time record defeats, the 9-0s, the 8-0s, it's minnows. They're the teams who get beaten yeah. by these sort of scorelines because I think as Neville and Keane rightly pointed out after the game, there's a professionalism that the top teams should automatically have that when it gets to 3 or 4 nil, these guys have all played hundreds, thousands of games of football. They know when it's not your day. They know when it's going wrong. They know when it can get out of hand. And that's when you just put the handbrake on, you slow it right down and you go home with your 3-0, with your tails between your legs, and you regroup. you got another match next week. You're going still for two other trophies. Your title ambitions are probably gone, but you put the head down. But if anything, it was the complete opposite. The last 10 minutes, like 7-0 ended up being kind to Liverpool. They could have had two or three more goals. There could have been two or three red cards for Manchester United. It's hard to think of a situation where heads were gone as badly as that United team. Liverpool were very efficient with their uh, scoring. They scored seven of their eight shots on target. Mm. Um, So yeah, it could have been worse, but thankfully didn't have any more shots on target because by the end, any shot at all would have gone in, judging by United's mentality. But afterwards, Eric Ten Hag very coldly analysed it, saying they were disgraceful but also unprofessional. And he used that word three times in the post-match interview in Sky Sports. Did not hide behind the fact about what happened at all. But one thing I disagree with there, Shane, is like I thought... Manchester United were decent in the first half. I thought they probably well, they were, just yeah. about shaded it. Yeah. And I thought you were saying the early signs there that wasn't looking good. I thought Casemiro was way off it. His passing was awry from the start. But if you look at 
if you analyse the first half, I thought Liverpool slightly shaded the first quarter, slightly, and then from the about the 15th minute until the 43rd, Cody Gakpo's first goal, I thought United were slightly better. You look at the chances, Anthony started off with a shot out just outside the box, curled it on his left with Alisson at the force behind for a corner, uh, and then you had the Bruno Fernandes header from that crossing from the right-hand side and it just went wide. I was absolutely convinced that was a goal. And then just after that, Luke Shaw's beautiful through ball to Marcus Rashford who tried to take it first time judging by his confidence at the moment. Rashford has never scored on Merseyside either away to Liverpool or Everton and I thought he could have taken a touch and composed himself and shot past Alisson but United didn't take their chances and then when Liverpool scored that first goal they just took it from there but I don't think anybody saw what was going to happen in the second half. I would love to know what happened at halftime in that dressing room? Well, can I can I just ask in the first half because a lot was made post game of United being the better team in the first half, and as you say I thought That's it was all irrelevant. It was relatively tight in the first half. United certainly had their chances, and with Rashford's form, you would expect them to take that opportunity. I was still really surprised in the first half an hour by United's absence of ambition. They were wasting this time. Was th- and this was almost been encouraged. That and listen, Gary Neville has played there dozens of times so he understands the psyche of going to Anfield and he was very keen to point out again and again that this place is what really tests the Manchester United squad Yeah, but Liverpool have been at a very low ebb and if you look at Liverpool over the last three months you look at some of the bad bad defeats that they've taken against Brighton against Brentford you sort of knew going into those games that Liverpool might struggle with the intensity of those sides not the Liverpool of old but the Liverpool that we've seen of this season of the last three months because they play so fast they get at you they'll press in your face and it just felt that Manchester United had to come to Anfield with a high intensity game plan that the counter-attacking football of Solskjaer that they felt worked well for them at times obviously not against Liverpool last season but that that's what they were going to go for let Liverpool have it and you beat them on the break that was not the game plan to beat Liverpool yesterday. They needed to be in their face, attacking front foot football in that first half, put them on the back foot in the first 15, 20 minutes, make Anfield nervous. And it wouldn't take much to make Anfield nervous right now. I thought they paid them way, way too much respect. Well, didn't have anywhere near enough confidence in themselves. And there have to be some questions about Ten Hag's game plan as well, where he sticks Bruno Fernandes, who we will get on to, out on the left-hand side, sticks Marks Rashford up front, plays Valt Veghurst as a number 10. When... All of the pre-match expectation is that let Rashford have a run at Trent. Let him have a run. When we get on to Liverpool, that was Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson's best Liverpool performance all season by a country mile. Mm. They won't get the plaudits because of what the front three did. But the two of them were the players of last season, of the last three or four seasons. Crossfield balls, playing them off the right foot, off the left foot, doing whatever the hell they wanted. Yeah. And that was down to Ten Hag's tactics, letting them do that. Well, I'm like, he, sure. got this one, he got this one wrong as well. I'm not sure. Like Liverpool are at a low ebb by their hugely high standards that Jurgen Klopp has set over the last number of years, but they're not at their lowest ebb this season. I mean, coming into that game, the Real Madrid uh, result, that was really also the second half, funny enough, a capitulation by Liverpool. But other than that, Liverpool have been decent since the 3-0 defeat away to Wolves on the 4th of February. Like They won the Merseyside derby very handily. They won away to Newcastle 2-0, which is a great win. OK, the 0-0 uh, away to Crystal Palace last weekend was very poor. But then they beat Wolves 2-0. They've been very solid defensively. Well, they've, got, they've got a lot so better So they've done a lot better. So I, I don't think there was anything wrong at all with United's game plan in the first half. And I think we're only saying that now because of what happened in the second half. Gary Neville said in commentary, like you pointed so out... So you thought in the first half about, having Fernandez out in the left-hand no, side I thought that was I thought that was a so poor... That was a poor... Strange, I didn't think the before performance was too bad because Gary Neville said in commentary to Jamie Carragher it was like they're slowing the game down and he was in favour of that and that's how they used to do it in his day and if you look at the successful results that United had at Anfield in Gary Neville's time like the John O'Shea 2007 game Carlos Devis 2008 game 
that was exactly the same type of performance where United sold it them. They didn't show any great None ambition. Of these those, are relevant. They didn't show any what? of those great ambitions. What other no, but team? That's, sorry, that, that's the how game is what happened fifteen into. years ago relevant? Because tactically, to what can happen today? It was taking soon United. Soon as it was relevant, apparently he was. This is the that's first time taking United side to Anfield, and he said before, and I'm very excited to do this. He must have been looking at any sort of game plan. What traditionally works well ah, at Anfield? I sorry. think that's what there's he no manager in the world is going back to 2007. Going, this is the Manchester United way of winning at Anfield. Manchester United used to beat Liverpool all the time because they were a way better team than them. He would have been told umpteen times what happens at Anfield is this. So you need to combat that. You can't treat it the same. So he said, OK, we'll slow the game down. They were visibly, like clearly slowing the game down so much that was, in the first half. That was half, a bad right? game plan. It was bizarre. I, it really, lads, it wasn't bizarre because United shaded the first half. I know, but it was, but it was actually fine. Need to be shading the first I'd be half. way, way more concerned with the defensive capitulation in the second half than any sort of game plan in the first half. Well, can we talk at half time, everything was fine. Liverpool went one up at half time was like, okay if United continue playing the way they are they have a chance of getting back into this that's what the half time discussion was right we're, the we're, second half is a completely different game we're on red so let's let's analyse critically some of the United players because some of the performances were abysmal would be would be probably using a too light a well, word let's start with your pal Right, Bruno Fernandes. You're mad to talk about Bruno Fernandes. Bruno uh, Fernandes, and uh, somebody in our YouTube comments has just summed up Bruno Fernandes better than I ever could. Edward Freeman says, Bruno is a spoofer. If he was on the Titanic, he'd have thrown the women and children overboard to save himself. Harsh. Jesus, that's harsh. Um, look, you, you famously said on this show last week, Nathan, uh, you, you had your, your uh, reservations about Bruno Fernandes. I came on the next morning and was, was like, well, look, Bruno Fernandes was very important in, in United season so far. He's been crucial in Rashford's rejuvenation, I would argue, as well. And I did stipulate and say, yes, his attitude uh, leaves a lot to be desired at times. Even United fans get sick of it, the antics and the holding his face when he gets hit on the fucking shoulder or whatever else. And yeah, he is a frustrating player to watch whether you support his team or whether you're against his team. Yesterday, his performance was horrific. Let's be honest. Uh, and it wasn't just the performance. It was his attitude, generally speaking. Because, uh, as we were speaking about earlier, he's wearing the captain's armband. Does he ever captain Manchester United again? Yeah, clearly. Well, what's the alternative? David De Gea is the alternative, is he? Like, uh, Harry Maguire. Casemiro! Casemiro! Rafa Varane! Yeah. You cannot look at the incident that, and there's half a dozen of them have been sent to me with Bajetic at the end, where he has a little yeah. kick out of him, lets him roll by, throws his hands up into the air, could have been sent off for pushing the assistant referee. Like, this happened Second. in the build-up to two or three of the goals, he's dispossessed and he stands there. Like, this is, that is not the behaviour of a world-class player, the way Cap- you spoke Captain, about him. Captains lose discipline. I'm not saying... Keane and, listen, and Vieira have lost discipline I understandably a got a lot of blowback from Manchester United supporters who pointed out all the great things Bruno Fernandes has done. And I'm not saying, in any way, that Bruno Fernandes is not an incredibly talented footballer. Clearly he is. The point I was raising more than anything was as Manchester United look to get to the next level because the feeling was they had reached a certain level where they're contenders, if they want to become champions, is Bruno Fernandes good enough to bring them to that level? And I don't think, I don't think consistently he is. He has moments and I get the he's trying for moments. That's what he does. He tries the dangerous pass all of the time. But there's too many games where he's not influential. He's clearly a pretty poisonous figure if that's what your captain is allowed to do on the pitch. If that's what he's allowed to do on the pitch, that filters through to all the younger players. Like they've just got rid of Cristiano Ronaldo. He's not at that level. R- Ronaldo, that was a po- Ronaldo was a poisonous figure. I, d- I don't know if poisonous but figure on, on is, the pitch, is fair on the pitch, Bruno. on the pitch. Could be a lovely guy off it. Who knows? I don't know. But that attitude, as you said, that's been there all the time. Like yesterday was the worst. 
Yes, there was a yeah. worst we've seen from Bruno Fernandes. But, but y- y- your team is losing 7-0 at Anfield. He's obviously... But they weren't losing 7-0 when this started. No, I That's know. That's the problem. But This started at 2-0 I, at 3-0. I this out two years ago when Fernandes was United, by far United's best player that his gesticulating was infuriating to watch. So annoying uh, it, it, This is absolutely nothing new by Fernandes. The only real striking thing was the Bayecic moment in the at the end of the game when he just completely gave up oh, but that, 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 but that was, happened that, on I, goal 3 or goal 4 in the middle of the I pitch know, as well that, like, that, was re- that really stood out for me but other than that like, I was like that's exactly what I expect Fernandez to do like this is the worst of Fernandez that you see and the fact that he wears the captain's armband is a bit concerning I imagine he's a somewhat positive uh, influence when things are going well in the dressing room but like in many ways this makes Eric Ten Hag's summer plans probably more clear cut because it's a reminder that United are nowhere nowhere near no. as good as they and can sorry, be and yes. sorry that, that word and contenders. this is like uh, th- also this United has been like New Year New Me New Year's resolution where it's going yeah. so well for so long but there's still that muscle memory of the last decade of United being so far off that it came back with a vengeance yesterday and I'd say Ten Hag was shocked United also have a massive problem at Anfield they scored one goal in the last seven games there and that goal Jesse Lingard oh, which was the last Jose Mourinho this. moment this is a different Manchester United none of these previous games are massively relevant um, I would say they are. Like, there's I been mean, a change, all right. That's over the last exactly half decade the that Liverpool have been far stronger than Manchester United, which makes it a very difficult place. Every team has a terrible record at Anfield over the last five or six years. But United are in a totally different place going into this game to where they were previously. Oh, yeah, and like- as soon as as soon as they went two and three, they were the players that were there last season when they lost four nil, and that was an equally bad drumming in terms of performance. They're like, oh, here we go again, and and that that was the really concerning. Well, here we go again. Was it was the that crux of that team was there. And then they were like, oh no, we're back again, we're back to this. There is obviously a, every 7-0 there's a definite freakish nature to because they just don't happen mm. every week. But it's not that freakish for this Manchester United is a big problem for Ten Hag. I, I, look I, I look, look at the last two seasons, look at the last two seasons. Conceded seven against Liverpool. Yeah, sorry. No, six but, against Manchester City. Yeah. Five against Liverpool. Four against Liverpool, Brentford, Brighton, Watford, Leicester. All of that since the beginning of last season. Is that not the way? Wasn't relevant a second ago. You said this is a totally different United team this season. No, but sorry, this is this season. Is that you're talking about the last last five, six years? years. But lads, is that this is why it's surprising? This is why it's surprising because United fans have felt like they had turned a leaf. They won a trophy recently. They're beating Barcelona in the Europa League. And the feel good factor is at the club. Eric Ten Hag is the man in charge. He is brilliant. Uh, And look, a small cohort of United fans are probably saying, "Could we win a title?" I think, realistically speaking, United are not title contenders. Never have been title contenders at all this season. I, th- I thought they were actually. I, d- I don't think so. I, yesterday. I, I, I really did. It was a strike. I, I was absolutely shocked by uh, how terrible they were in the second half. I really was. And when Ten Hag's team lose, they lose spectacularly. Like Nathan's already yeah. mentioned, Manchester Derby, the Brentford game. The only close defeat that they've had was the three-two to Arsenal in January. They only lost once in twenty-two we, games. We, going we, into we're it. giving a lot of, of stick to Bruno, and rightfully so. Luke Shaw's defending yeah, in the yeah, second yeah. half. It's the worst. It's the worst individual performance in a half I've probably ever seen in the Premier League like Luke Shaw's defending Sunday League like we, we talked about Casemiro Varane was brutal but Shaw's performance in that second half was he was trying to get himself sent off as well and, and I understand that he probably wanted to get out of there get away from the glare of the cameras in the Anfield uh, cop end and just get back home because he was so so bad you'd question Luke Shaw after that like uh, I know, he's been questioned a lot of times, and look, his ball in for Rashford was—he's was been brilliant. Look, he's been brilliant. He clearly, got at him and targeted him. I here, I I understand. I'd be looking more at Casemiro and Varane from the high standards yeah. they have set. Like Casemiro in that second goal, where he's lying on the ground. Oh, that was that was bailing, wondering what his the hell pass, is going I, I on. And as you said, in the first half, his passing was all over the shop. Like Varane, 
The second, okay, so there's, there's a lovely ball from Andy Robertson and Fred makes a mistake in stepping across and leaving the space for Gakpo. But the second that, as you're watching on TV, the second that comes to Gakpo, you know he's going to step in onto his right foot. Yeah. yeah. And Rafa Varane's like, would you like to go this way, sir? Yeah. Would, and you, also, like to, uh, would you like to walk in here and have a perfect little angle so you can Lissandro Martinez uh, blocked David De Gea's view for that shot, so De Gea was, had no chance of getting to it. It was, it was such a, an odd... Uh, display in terms of the lack of communication in defence as well but you look at those players from last season like like Shane you mentioned Luke Shaw's capitulation in the second half because mm. he was pretty decent in the first half yeah. and even for Roberto Firmino's goal the, the seventh one Varane's body language if you look back on it now I understand like it's the seventh goal and he's like oh my god but you could definitely see shades of Varane from last season where he was like I, re- I remember this feeling I remember this yeah. but look if you if you want to try and get any positivity at all from Manchester United perspective of this game, I do think it says to Ten Hag, oh, like this project is nowhere near complete. Like, and there's loads of areas that we need improvement. And there's many players who will be waking up this morning thinking, "Geez, I need to seriously, so who, seriously improve who, dramatically, who, who or else I'm gone in the summer." So, what did they need? Because this day last week, it felt like all they needed was maybe a striker yeah. and a central midfielder. But Veghorst wasn't the long term solution, which clearly is. What do they need now? I would still I would have said this time last week that full back options on the left beyond Luke Shaw Terrell Malassi not totally convinced but I would have said right back they could Luke definitely Shaw improve probably up till yesterday have been in most oh, yeah, yeah, team sure. of the season yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what I'm saying but a backup to Shaw would have, could have been a better backup right back not really totally convinced by um, centre half is fine uh, the goalkeeper probably needs upgrading at some point I think he's okay uh, midfield you can see the seven and, uh, probably a better partner for Casemiro uh, Fernandez, I'd, I'd always have around just because of his um, the because benefits that you get. The benefits you what get from the Fernandez benefits? are brilliant. When you when what are the benefits? Well, his goals and assists, his stats are are what goals and assists are what are you would expect very, from very a player playing in the attacking midfield. I would say they're above average for team. Yeah, I would say they're above average for a midfield player. I would definitely on say a top four, four team. Is he because this is this is one thing I wondered last week. So United look clearly are going in the right direction under Eric Ten Hag from even more so than Mourinho and Solskjaer and I know you can point out that you know they finished second in those seasons and they mightn't even and probably won't even finish second this season the one thing we didn't know about United and we they're even further away now is how far away from they're properly contending for a title how far are the way are they from being in a position that Arsenal are in right now pretty, where they're playing important games at this stage of the season pretty far. where it really really matters where they have to win where you have to go out and win you know away at Brentford Oh, you have to do what Arsenal do come from 2-0 down at the end like they're miles away from that um, still well, and also well, they have the massive problem that all the teams have that Liverpool as they try and rejuvenate that Arsenal will have next season like Manchester City will just go and invest again yeah possibly but this time last year nobody was saying Arsenal were title contenders this season so that's how quickly you can turn it around if you do it right look Ten Hag's acquisitions have been good so you'd think if you give him another summer and another couple of transfer windows he's only going to improve the team so United fans will be optimistic about that it's just that today that like the squad needs he might I think not. he sit down this week Listen, I think he will I think United should get better but the teams around them may also get better and better for sure Manchester City may improve like City are having an off season City could go back to getting 95 points again next season we're, so we spent a lot of time United and rightly so because they were, they were brutal but we'll be coming back to Daniel Harris later on in the show as well and Harry Pryor to kind of hone in a bit more on Liverpool so we'll move on from them for now but keep the comments coming in on Manchester United and uh, yeah we'll continue to analyse what exactly went wrong for them at Anfield yesterday also in the red uh, West Ham and Tottenham Hotspur after their uh, respective weekends uh, I was listening to, to Laro on Football Saturday and he was talking about his good friend David Moyes and he was thinking is this is this it? A 4-0 defeat to Brighton uh, Pretty alarming defeat, in fact. Winless now in 11 away matches in the Premier League. Perilously 
close to those re- relegation uh, discussions, you'd have to say, for David Moyes. And uh, this was uh, not an unlucky performance. It was just an abysmal performance from West Ham United. And the chance, the usual chance, uh, sacked in the morning, started to happen. Uh, so, yeah, David Moyes in trouble, lads. I don't know if uh, if you think he's going to go, but I don't think he'll be gone after this game. Seems to be the the general feeling around uh, around uh, West Ham. So, he, he might survive another couple of games, but if it keeps going the way it's going, he's in trouble. I felt he would be gone. I'm surprised he's still there. But then again, they did beat Nottingham Forest 4-0 recently, so that probably bought him a little bit of time. But I thought they were very poor against uh, Manchester United in the FA Cup during the week from the position that they were in and at the same time when they were 1-0 down against Brighton at the weekend Jared Bowen had a great chance to equalise so could have gone differently but I guess we're using that word again capitulation and that's what happened to West Ham and it feels like the Moyes um, era can give no more they squeeze the sponge out of that and I do expect him to be replaced probably by Rafa Benitez I'd imagine I think it would be a bad decision to get rid of Moyes right now maybe at the end of the season you're probably right it has run out of a little bit of steam and it may be taken out of their hands when you look at their next two games or against Aston Villa and Southampton both at home so they need minimum of four points out of that they're in the conference league as well so they're playing Larnaca on Thursday night so there's a lot of games coming down the track they beat Forest 4-0 Forest are very solid defensively in general United probably showed the problem for Moyes I think at getting to that next level his record record against top teams away from home is absolutely woeful yeah a lack of ambition it feels a lack of confidence Laura made a comment on the show a few months back about David Moyes being a real warrior and you get that sense watching his West Ham team and it's probably what cost him at Manchester United that he was thinking about what could go wrong rather than actually we're 1-0 yeah, up against Manchester it. United let's go on and kick on and they had chances it's not his fault that Mikel Antonio has an absolute mare in front of goal and they win that suddenly there's a bit of momentum behind them they might go and win at the weekend or maybe they don't because like we're talking about Brighton in an historical sense, almost this is like Brighton produced one of the performances of the season. Mm. Like there were some outstanding performances in the Premier League at the weekend that will obviously be overshadowed by what Liverpool did. Brighton, the quality of Brighton's goals was insane. What a job this guy's doing! Oh well, they're already worried that he's going to go during the summer. His reputation is higher uh, than than Graham Potter's uh, was. <laughs> it feels. Uh, I was yeah. I was I was over at the cup game um, where Evan Ferguson got injured against Liverpool and it was in his press conference afterwards uh, annoying all the journalists by just asking about Evan Ferguson mm. when it was the final day of the transfer window and all they wanted to know was about Moses Casado. but he was incredibly impressive in that press conference with how he firstly handled the Casado situation which was we want to keep him I think he's a great guy He's obviously being led astray by those beside him, but I think he's a great guy. And if he comes back in, I'll still think he's a great guy. Very strong with the owner, Tony Bloom, who by all accounts is one of the better owners in the Premier League, invests in the right way, do their due diligence in terms of recruitment of players and of managers as well, and said, you know, if he wants to finish in the European spots, you cannot sell your best players in January. That's what this club has traditionally done over the last few years. And that's why they can't get gone. He managed to keep Casado. Casado was exceptional at the weekend Evan Ferguson's role in Mitoma's goal that he took in that counter-attack and little back heel from Ferguson on the edge of the area and the cross from Mitoma Alexis McAllister has come back got his goals after the World Cup they are a team you want to go and watch right now Matoma's a cracking player ah, McAllister all through that team and they are one of these teams that you watch them against the top four top six and you go he probably improved them. Like Estepinian, again, they just sold Kukurea for 50 million quid during the summer. And Estepinian's come in at left back and it's even better. Their transfer policy is brilliant. Second to none. Like every other team should be following their blueprint. We should touch on Spurs as well. I mean, disappointing weekend for them to say the least. Still in fourth. Remarkably so. Christian Stellini after the game 
say they weren't nasty enough in that game against Wolves. Wolves moved six points clear of relegation. Uh, big opportunity wasted for Tottenham, you'd have to say. They were probably the better team in the first half. It certainly was the old cliche game of two halves. Uh, and they have that Champions League second leg against AC Milan upcoming this week now on Wednesday and a massive game against Nottingham Forest after that before the international break so uh, Conte will, will, will return now after his gallbladder operation uh, but yeah worrying times for Tottenham Hotspur as well will, will we keep the show yep. moving lads because there, there's a lot to get through here we'll, we'll go to the amber Brendan Rodgers and actually two Brendan Rodgers because uh, uh, that's why it's in the amber one had a bad week and uh, uh, weekend and one had a very good weekend so we'll start with the bad weekend for uh, Leicester City manager Brendan Rodgers, safe to say, uh, called for his sacking after the weekend in a defeat by Southampton on Saturday, 1-0. They're just two points above the Premier League, uh, Premier League's relegation zone. Seventh defeat in ten top-flight games for Leicester. Uh, only Bournemouth, who are bottom of the league, have won fewer points than Leicester since the uh, resumption after the World Cup. Um, four successive defeats, knocked out of the FA Cup as well to Blackburn Rovers. And yeah, all of a sudden now you're getting names being thrown out. Thomas Frank, Ralph Hasenhutl, even Benitez as well, as potential replacements for Brendan Rodgers so he had a bad week you lose to Southampton you're in the, you're in a spot of bother New Era Southampton that's the only thing he'll be saying about that Well, they're much like more, it, it felt left. like the, the Rodgers era had probably ran out of steam towards the end of last season I, I still feel he's incredibly harshly judged all of the time I think he's a very good manager who could easily and should be always in and around a top six club. The way this has disintegrated over the past year, 18 months, probably means he won't be in the mix for one of those straight away. But managers live and die by their players. And his biggest problem is Jamie Vardy has reached old age and can't play anymore and his replacements can't score any goals. Kelechi Iheanacho, it's cliche, he should have had a hat-trick. He should have had a hat-trick. He missed two absolute sitters from headers from five yards out that he has to score. Yeah. And then Gavin Bazunu, who had a couple of ropey moments, yeah. uh, kicks the ball straight to him and he fires it in on top of the crossbar. Like, this is a game Leicester should have won. It's a game Ianacho should have scored some goals. And that's sort of been the story of their season. They've had a lot of injuries over the last couple of years. They haven't invested in the areas they should. And there's only so much a manager can do with that. Yeah, the money's gone. And, uh, like, I was saying the same thing about Rodgers. I thought it had run its course. I was expecting him to leave either by uh, his own decision or decision by the club. And he hasn't. So I actually think he's doing very well to get any more out of this Leicester side. And you're totally right. Rodgers gets a very hard time. And literally every single club he's been at, he's done well. And you also forget that he won the FA Cup for Leicester. Yeah, he's, good, he's a good you know, manager, like, He's done brilliantly well. But um, I do feel like there's a change in coming there. A bit like at West Ham. I think that's going to happen. With the other Brendan Rodgers yeah. then, a lot of Derry fans screaming at the screen at the moment, and rightly so. What a night for them in Celtic Park. What was it, 12,000 or, uh, or so fans? Uh, under the lights, sold out stadium as well. Really, really good atmosphere it seemed. It wasn't at the game, but uh, certainly through the TV screens, that's the way it... Uh, it, it appeared Brendan Rodgers with the late point in stoppage time to cap off that comeback. Niall Toner's goal as well, kind of setting them on their way. Uh, and you're thinking at half-time, Dublin well ahead in this game, 7-2 uh, ahead. Then Tom Lahiff fists another point. You're thinking, well, this is potentially heading the way of the dubs. Uh, and then that inspirational point from Ethan Doherty to, to kind of bring Derry back into it, maybe give them that little boost and think, well, we could get something out of this game still. Uh, but then towards the end, Kieran Kilkenny tagging on uh, a couple of points. And you're thinking, yeah, they're pulling away yet again. Oshin McWilliams then and Lachlan Murray kicking the, those uh, late points. Derry ahead for the first time in the game in the 69th minute of the match. Then that cost low free levels it. McGuigan wastes a chance and Rogers wins it with the final kick. It was it was the perfect game management. Pass the ball around. We're either going to draw this game or win it. And uh, they managed to get that one last score. Brendan Rogers, who I spoke very glowingly about last season. Uh, really, really uh, unbelievable player for Derry. And he was such a crucial cog in that semi-final run last year in the championship. 
so what a weekend for Derry what a win Division 1 uh, straight straight up to Division 1 for next season from Division 4 all the way up to Division 1 it's impressive isn't we were it we talking to Declan Bogan on Thursday night show and because Rory Gallagher, obviously, there's always criticism of his style of football. And at halftime in that game, when you've scored two points in the first half, it's coming <laughs> at you hard and fast. But he has managed to unite Derry football. He has managed to bring them back, as you say, very quickly to Division 1. And they looked in that second half like an elite team, like Brendan Rodgers and Brian Fenton. Mm. You were watching that tussle going, Phew, maybe we're talking about the two best midfielders in the country right yeah, now. Yeah. Like Rodgers, some of... Some of the balls he managed to pluck ahead of Fenton, oh. and Fenton is—he's one. Of, he, it's maybe it's just his face. He's definitely always comes across one of the more gracious losers. Yeah, and we didn't see him lose for what was it five years, uh, so he didn't have much time to practice it even. No, but there seems a genuineness you can tell in his face as to the guys he really respects, and the shake of the hand with Rogers, and the sort of knowing glances towards the end of the game of all right, this guy has pushed me to the pin of my collar. Yeah, uh, I think like Derry are definitely all Ireland contenders, and uh, like I can't see past them for the, for the Ulster Championship this year. I really can't. Our, our top of Division Two. Imagine if they were top of Division One. I know. <laughs> yeah, the Mayo lads are, are are on form this morning as well. So look, apologies to Mayo fans. We can't get to you. There's just too much to get to. Congrats to Mayo. Big no, no, come back to us at the end of July. We we'll will. Don't want to be in, don't want to be in green until the last Sunday yeah. in July, Shane. Yeah, cute hers. That's what you are. Uh, Arsenal. In the green, oh. I think they have to be, don't they? For the uh, club, generally speaking, but, after but the weekend. weekend. Uh, we'll start with the the, uh, the women's team yesterday, County Cup. Uh, fantastic performance, especially the character that, that they show, uh, showed after losing to Arsenal or to Chelsea the previous week. Uh, and then Sam Kerr gives Chelsea the lead after two minutes and you're thinking, the writing's on the wall here. Uh, Chelsea are going to go on and win the game as well. Um, but a brilliant, brilliant performance. And, and uh, what a moment for those Arsenal fans to, to just cap off a weekend uh, in front of the Chelsea owner as well, Todd Bowley, who was at the match at the County Cup final yesterday. Um, but Blackstenius, Kim Little's penalty, Neve Charles' own goal, uh, gets them over the line. They, they said after the, the Chelsea game the previous week, Jonas Eideval, the, the Arsenal manager, that they, they felt that they had kind of managed Sam Kerr quite, quite well. And yesterday it was proved right. Even after two minutes, they concede and they still managed to, to cope with her. Uh, and that threat that, that Sam Kerr and the whole Chelsea forward line poses. So, uh, a brilliant win. And look, just mirrored the comeback win the previous day from, from Reese Nelson's goal and the, the absolute scenes against Bournemouth. Yeah. What a 3 2 win for Arsenal. A title winning performance, you'd have just to say. Just one thing on um, uh, The Guardian went with Katie McCabe on the back page lifting mm. the trophy. And she had a really good game, but she was taken off quite early before the hour mark. And you do wonder. She won the penalty as well. Yeah. Which, yeah, there was no. There didn't seem to be any talk about an injury or no, anything massive after the game. So, uh, Hopefully there's uh, nothing to worry about, but it shows the folly, uh, even if she did have a bit of a head cold a couple of weeks ago, of not having her in that Arsenal team. And when they played last week, Arsenal had more chances and just couldn't take them. And Blackstenius missed a host of chances and obviously took her chance early yesterday. Uh, Emma Hayes was interesting after the game, talking about Chelsea and their complacency. It was a really interesting interview. I couldn't figure out exactly who she was trying to get at with it. It was one of those where there was definitely a point being made to either the media or the players where it was, when you've won as many trophies as we have, mm. and she must have said this about four times, like, we have won a lot of trophies. When, when you've won all the trophies we have... It was a Mourinho moment, wasn't it? When you've won all the trophies we have, you know, you could tell we were the team who'd won all the trophies lately and if they hadn't won any trophies, and you could tell, and I'm just really disappointed in the complacency, but, you know, when you look... So it was... I, I, I just couldn't figure out whether it was a real, all right, Arsenal, well done, you've won the League Cup, but, you know, you're probably out of the title race, we're still in control of yeah. the league, even with Manchester United pulling clear yesterday, you know, we're still the big dogs. Let's see how we all get on the Champions League. Or was she actually really having a dig at her team going, 
well, this sort of complacency can't kick in again for the rest of the season. Yeah. The reminder of those trophies, always be updating your virtual LinkedIn. This is what I was doing. This is what I've brought to the club. But like the fact that they were unbeaten since the first so your season of WSL, not that. Um, what have you brought? And they were like, <laughs> they started so well. And it was a team of ours this weekend to concede very, very early, like 9.7, 9.11 seconds early uh, on Saturday. Mm. And then to do it after it was a 90 odd seconds with Sam Kerr's goal and to come back both times. It's like you really couldn't have had much of a better weekend for Arsenal since probably the glory days of the Arsene Wenger era. Oh, what a weekend for Arsenal. You have, to, you have to remember for the women's team as well, Beth Mead and, and Miedemat, like those crucial injuries before Christmas, you're thinking this this could be the, the end of their season in many ways because two such, two crucial players for the team uh, and they hadn't beaten Chelsea in five, so that's that was impressive. But even when, when Arsenal uh, on Saturday went 2-0 down to Bournemouth, you never felt like they were out of the game. You're like, this is going to be a Fergie time, late type situation. Now, when it, when it was 2-2 in the 96th minute, I didn't think they were going to win the game, but... Um, just an incredible moment. Reese Nelson's finish. Oh, this, was, this was the moment of the season so far. <laughs> There's nothing better in football than a goal when the game is over. Oh. And by that I mean, so you've had your last chance. So it was, nine, it was six minutes of injury time and we've gone through it and they've already had an opportunity. And then they get the corner kick. It's one of those you're going, oh, he won't even let them take the corner kick because we're out of time yeah, so it's yeah, done yeah. so the Arsenal fans have we thrown everything at them probably deserve to win the game with the way they played in, in the second half and the way they bombarded the Bournemouth goal and you go ah, listen one point it's back to three bit of momentum gone you've got to be beating Bournemouth in these sort of games all the criticism that's going to come their way and then the quality of the finish and the celebrations the Athletic have gone full yeah, scale Athletic with a, uh, a deep dive into the celebrations uh, who was the first player over to Reese Nelson what Odegaard did away from the cameras who, the little kid that Mikel Arteta was suddenly celebrating ah. with all of that and ah, it was it was a moment where I think if you're a neutral you're looking at it going you know what I think I would like Arsenal to win the league this season I think it would mean so much more to them than it would to City. Manchester City. They're just better to watch than City too, aren't they? Well, they are. And the thing that is really... Uh, when you watch Arsenal over the past couple of months is the little bit of depth that they have in their squad and players who've been able to make a difference. So they had a really good January transfer window, it turned out, in signing Jorginho and Trossard. Yeah. Without spending an insane amount of money. Like, Trossard comes on... I think in that game against Manchester United, he was the match winner. He was the one who made the difference in the closing stages with the way he brought the game to United. He's allowed them to play a different system. Obviously, he went off injured, but he's allowed them suddenly, with Nketiah getting injured, to play Martinelli up front, which seems to, uh, to play Martinelli and Trossard together and allow Martinelli at times to get into a more central position. Uh, so he's done well. Jorginho, obviously, has the shot off the crossbar that ends up in the own goal for Emi Martinez. It's this massive moment in, in that game that looks to have won it for them in injury time and when Party was out, is able to step in in the middle of midfield and do a pretty solid job. And then Nketia replaces Jesus, mm. scores some goals. Reese Nelson comes out of nowhere, yeah. comes on, scores some goals. Smith Rowe is back as well, who I've always thought is a really nice yeah, player. They might that. just have enough depth there it was to the, get this done. That was, result was uh, title-winning stuff. Like You see that over the years with, with teams getting over with exactly games like that. Like You could argue that this time last season they would have either lost or drawn that game against Bournemouth and they've come on that a little bit more. Also, Reese Nelson, our own Stephen Doyle, tweeted this in the immediate aftermath of the match. His first Premier League appearance since November. Which what an impact. That's mad. What an impact like, to have that over your CV. We're get, lads, we're getting like hundreds of comments in here. Yeah. I mean, I can't, it, it's hard to pick the best now. But here's one from Paul McGee. In my entire life supporting Liverpool, that was was the best day I've ever had bar Istanbul. Sorry, we should mention that that, that brings us on to the last green, Liverpool, of course. Uh, which, I mean, United fans have to take their take their medicine, uh, take the defeat, 
take it gently and uh, give some credit to Liverpool because this performance just felt like every time Liverpool got the ball in the second half it was going to end up in the back of the David Hayes net the ball was almost being sucked into the cup it was like this is this, it, literally every time Liverpool got the ball I was like yeah they're going to score they're absolutely going to score whether it was calamitous defending or what but, but Liverpool's attacking threat was just unbelievable every time Salah got the ball well, most beautiful volley as well most of it's worth touching on here He's broken Robbie Fowler's record. Liverpool's highest scoring Premier League player with 129 goals. Went into the game with 127. Also, no one's really talking about Salah this season. He scored 22 goals. That The standards that he set for himself, it's like he's quietly going about having a brilliant season because of how phenomenal he's been in previous years. And this, look, this Liverpool performance just reminded me yesterday that like these lads should be contending for the title. Even if they are tired after last season, even if they did play every single game possible last season, they're still that good. Even with uh, the midfield Alan, Alan Quinlan is, uh, is going to be on the line. He's got a can of seven up. Him. He's got a can of seven up. I can feel Alan Quinlan here at the door. Like, he's right ah, here. He's usually struggling to get him in the studio. He's in an hour early today. Uh, Salah, so... Salah's <laughs> <laughs> Sala standards up. are so high because of that. I think the brilliant, the brilliant season, you expect him to score so many goals. The key yesterday... And I felt this watching them in the first 20 minutes against Real Madrid. When Liverpool are at their best, and listen, maybe this is the most obvious statement of all time, Salah needs that for him to be at his best because he plays the game faster than anybody else I've seen to play in the Premier League in recent times in that he needs it to be 100 miles an hour. His control is so good. So when the ball is pinged to him the way it can be from Trent or from Robertson or Crossfield... And you look at the react, look at the speed of his reaction when he twists and turns and sends Martinez. The second Martinez slips, mm. he doesn't panic. That's when he goes, all right, now I can just slip yeah, yeah. and oh, that's, little that's ball in. Yeah, but yeah. that's, if you look at the quality of goals that he scored and you think of the goal against Manchester City, was it last season? Uh, some of the goals where he wiggles his way in the area. If it's, if it's 110 miles an hour, which is the way Liverpool generally play. Yeah. That's when he comes into his own because he can do things that nobody else yeah, yeah. can do. And that's the way they played in the second half yesterday. Shane, that was a volley. It was absolutely yeah, that is cool. All right. I was confused following this conversation on Friday because it was well, even by uh, the standards of this show, it was somewhat quite nonsensical. Interesting. So interesting your take, your yeah, point really on I'm going to make a quick point here. So we yeah. we're going so, to sorry, have to just go on the, the, you put up a, a, a tweet. So yeah, Wayne sorry, Rooney we have, we have the, the Twitter poll. Line. We have the Twitter poll, so we'll put it up. Okay. I, I was putting up the West Ham uh, Rooney near halfway line goal, yeah. which. Uh, obviously bounces up there's the results of the poll so it's uh, what over a thousand votes 19% said it was a volley 56% a half volley 25% something else I was getting criticised can I just say this Nathan before you make a point in this I was getting criticised and slandered on the show on Friday for saying that it was a volley and and yet only 19% of people agreed with me you might say that Jilly uh, Flaherty a professional footballer disagreed with me as well uh, I got a, a voice message from a, a player with 110 international caps for, for his country at the weekend so uh, Kevin Gilban play the clip it's a volley. Wayne Rooney's goal against West Ham is a volley. It's only a half volley if it bounces immediately and you're connecting with it on the on the bounce, like a half or like a drop goal in rugby. That's a half volley. A volley doesn't matter whether it bounces, whether you're connecting with it on the full prior to it bouncing, it's still a volley. So yeah, and every single professional footballer that's ever played the game and have been taught since the age of probably seven or eight years of age know full well the difference between a volley and a half volley. It doesn't matter whether it's bounced or not. If it bounced and it bounces high, it's a volley. Half volley, as I was trying to explain to you before, is like a drop goal in, in rugby. That's what a half volley is, where it just literally bounces and you hit it on the bounce or on the up. That's a half volley. Salah's goal was a volley. I'll be Kill, taking no further discovering uh, voice messages is one of the worst things that <laughs> yeah, ever yeah. happened. Uh, it's just such a bad example, the Wayne Rooney one. 
Okay. The sal- Such a bad sorry, the Salah the Salah goal is is the same same example. We, no, but we, it's not because we got to go. Rooney's at the halfway line. We Rooney's at the halfway line. So it's neither a volley or a half. Salah's was. Uh, we will get back to Liverpool. We have spent only about thirty seconds talking about. Uh, them, but I think as uh, Manchester United, when you lose 7 0, probably are the story. But we will be talking with Harriet uh, Pryor in just a little while about uh, Liverpool. We've got Quinny coming up as well. Uh, Brayburn Coffee, by the way, is the official coffee partner of OTB. New Brayburn locations popping up every month. So visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn coffee experience. Daniel Harris is going to join us in a minute. But first, you've got to listen to this. Mark Lawrenson was on Saturday and he was talking about the time he ran into Tom Jones on the street. So we were doing the results of the BBC, me and uh, Ray Stubbs. Our final score, say, right, we came off at half five and this is when um, the BBC were in, were in London at the Horseshoe Place and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was where all the, the shows were going on, the programmes, all those kind of things. Me and Stubbsy, so we'd finished at half five and we came, we, we came off air and we used to go and just have one beer upstairs before we went home or I used to go and do match a day and stuff. Anyway, we were walking down the, the horseshoe and as we were walking down, Stubbsy just nudged me and he went straight ahead, Tom Jones, I went seen him. And so we kind of walked towards him and, and that we're thinking, shall we say anything or not? Anyway, as we walked towards him, he just said, hey boys, how did Cardiff get on? And Stubbsy went, I got beat 2-1, you know what he said? Not it's not unusual. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. I couldn't stop laughing for ten minutes. It was not unusual, and just kept walking. That's that is honestly the best story I've ever heard. I don't know if it's true, but I believe Lord. it is true. It's true. Why, how, how could you make well, that up? It's too, outla- it's that too up? outlandish to be true, but it this probably is, is you, true. This is why you couldn't be a spoiler. OTB AM, the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Liverpool 7, Manchester United nil. Get your comments in now. We want your thoughts on what happened over the weekend. Daniel Harris is with us on this Monday morning. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, really. How it are is, you? <laughs> uh, I'm, I am fine. Um, it, it does, I guess, amuse me that I've spent the last many years rending myself on this show. And I missed last Monday when United actually won something. And now I am back to discuss... <laughs> Yet another triumph. Yeah, you're the Grim Reaper of Manchester United. Oh yeah, he's got it. He's got it. Sort. Well, leave it. Leave it like that. Leave it like that. <laughs> uh, whew, where to start? Where to start uh, with this Manchester United performance? Uh, is Eric Ten Hag? How much responsibility does he take for this? Uh, plenty. They all. They all. They. There's plenty of blame to go around, and no need to be sparing. I feel like I haven't said that for a while. But there is, and there isn't. So, yeah, Eric Ten Hag, I mean, I thought he picked the wrong team. I would have picked, I mean, this sounds sound like a ridiculous thing to say because what difference did it actually have made? I would have picked one Bissaka, not Dallow, for that particular game, I think, a narrow pitch. Um, you, uh, Dallow going forward is not so much better than one Bissaka that I would take away the one-on-one defending and the ball carrying that I think you get from one Bissaka, particularly because Anfield's quite a tight, narrow pitch, so the width isn't as important. But on the other hand, I was chatting to someone about this yesterday and he said that Alexander-Arnold's diagonal balls to Nunez at the back post would have been the worst thing possible for one bissaka So I understand why he didn't. Uh, I wouldn't have played Weghorst. I wouldn't ever play Weghorst, who is a sort of classic post-Fergie era player in that he's not good enough, but he's not useless. So managers often play these players and think that they're adequate because sometimes they are, but over the stretch, they just aren't. But... 
obviously that's not what really went wrong. What really went wrong is United totally lost their head in the second half and Liverpool happened to have a day out at the same time. Seven goals from eight shots isn't something that you would ordinarily see. But obviously, you have to accept the fact that Liverpool finished ruthlessly while United were in the process of collapsing. Where does the losing the head in the second half come from? Obviously, the concessions of the goals and uh, heads drop. But yesterday was something very different than we see from the vast majority of professional footballers where heads were clearly gone. Bruno Fernandes had given up. He had, when well, Bajetic gets past him, he literally just has a kick at him and throws his hands in the air. There's two or three occasions in midfield where someone skips by and he doesn't chase back. Luke Shaw just has one of those days that you know he will probably remember in 20 years' time as, and talk about it as the worst day of his career. Casemiro, Varane have maybe their worst days in the Manchester United jersey. How does all that come together in the second half and, and how, how should they have stopped that from happening? Uh, I'm not certain Luke Shaw will remember this because... I remember someone once told me a story about him where the United were going to play a Euro away and um, he went downstairs and he realised that he'd forgotten his Uno. Players were into Uno at the time, don't know if they still are. So he goes back to get his Uno, goes to the airport, arrives at the airport and realises he's forgotten his suitcase. So I'm not 100% <laughs> convinced Luke Shaw will remember Maybe that uh, <laughs> lack, of, lack of short-term memory is a good thing for Luke Shaw at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he, I mean, even... even I mean, maybe he's getting he's getting on a bit. I mean, I, I feel his pain in that l- lack mm. of short-term memory. But uh, I still have not forgotten this. But I think that some of these players have got form for this, and Luke Shaw is one of them, where we saw numerous collapses during the course of our season. And I think as a United supporter, I had hoped, and as a football writer, I had sort of supposed that the new players, or the uh, Casemiro and Martinez, along with Varane now being available meant that we would never see this kind of behaviour again because we would have some serious citizens who would make sure that that didn't happen. And as it goes, though, like I thought Martinez actually played really well in the first half, which sounds like a totally moronic thing to say. But um, Varane and Casemiro were, among, were as bad as anyone yesterday. So I think that trying to understand where that performance comes from, I would say that, and I'm not trying to make excuses for these because there aren't any excuses, but they have played an absolute load of games, these players. They've played, I don't think they've had a free midweek since the World Cup. So they've been playing, so they've been playing weekend, then midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek. And mentally and physically, that is demanding. And if you're thinking, where might it be that the collapse happens? I guess 3 0 down at Anfield with 40 minutes to go might be that place where it happens. But you wouldn't expect it to happen quite like that. But ordinarily, as I just said a moment ago, if it did happen like that, you, it wouldn't ordinarily be combined with such ruthless finishing and Liverpool playing so well because those two things, both those things that we saw happen quite rarely. And so for them to happen together is particularly unusual. But I'm not excusing the players with mental and physical exhaustion, but I'm saying that if I'm trying to understand why that happened then aside from just general weakness and indolence, that might be something we'd think about. Trying to find reasons for this, Daniel, like, and to say the occasion was too big for them on the day would be ridiculous. When you look at the experience in that United lineup. you're thinking... You look at how they played in the first half. Yeah, well, they didn't... It was when things went wrong. It was a lack of... It was a lack of fibre. It was a lack of vertebra when things started to go seriously wrong. Until then, they were fine. And 
But they were only fine. Like, the first half performance, did you not expect more from United with the confidence that they have? They've just won the Carabao Cup. They've lost once in 22 games. It feels like they're back. And I get the history at Anfield isn't great, but that was a different Liverpool team to the one we've seen this season. Did you not expect them to come with more more fight to bring it to Liverpool, to put Liverpool on the back foot a bit more in the first half? Not really, because um, that's not how United have been playing over the last few weeks. If you think about the individual games, even Newcastle... They, Barcelona, they, but both Barcelona games, they've kind of been managing the game in the first half before letting it all hang out in the second, which I think is just a, a, phys- a physical thing that they're being asked to go to the well a lot. They're the busiest team in world football. And again, when I say all this stuff, I'm not defending the nonsense that we saw yesterday, but them managing the game in the first half before getting properly involved in the second half is a, is a dangerous tactic because they could have easily been two or three down in midweek against West Ham. By virtue before they started playing, but it feels like perhaps it's a necessity of the schedule where they've been staying in the game in the first half and they have and thinking that they have players that are still good enough to score goals and then properly then properly getting involved in the second. Am I right in um, saying that yeah. was a very Solskjaer thing as well that they, you start games very slowly? Yeah, it was. I mean, that was a slightly different. Like Solskjaer, it was a bit more. They were get, they were going behind in games. There was mm. it was a bit more indolent in the Solskjaer era, a bit less a bit less organisation, and then suddenly they found themselves behind at half time. So the attacking players just dealt with it. There's there's a bit more going on in this team in the in the structure of the way that they play, and they do play with a bit more confidence and a bit more abandon than than Ole's teams did. But the that pattern of United. Hanging in, not hanging in there in the first half, but United playing within themselves in the first half before stepping up in the second is a repeating one. So it wasn't the one that I saw for the first time yesterday. And it's United generally score more goals in the second half than they did in the first half. So I wasn't particularly surprised at what I saw. And it felt like in the last 10 minutes of the first half, they were starting to get on top. And that was the point of, of the game at which they should have scored. They didn't. And then then things weren't very wrong after that. But you can't blame the occasion for getting on top of them when when they played pretty well or reasonably well in the first half, better than the United sides played in the first half at Anfield for quite some time. So it's not the occasion that got on top of them, it's circumstances that got on top of them. And then they bottled the circumstances. And I'm not saying that's more or less acceptable, but I think there is a subtle difference in what we saw there. Daniel, this, this could go two ways for, for United from this point forward. So they can either, on Thursday night, be, beat Real Betis comfortably at home in the first leg of the Europa League last 16 and then beat Southampton in the Premier League next Saturday or Sunday before the international break or this can be a turning point in the season and the start of a downhill uh, slump that really really will have started with with conceding seven goals at Anfield what what way do you expect this to go because there's been all this talk that United players are mentality monsters but there's no no mentality (laughs) they're definitely not for me Um, I mean there are like Casemiro and Varane I think you, um, and Martinez, I guess you could say that about them. But as a collective, that kind of epithet is earned through more than being all right for most of half a season. That's You, you have to do quite a lot more than that. So, I, I mean, I would never have said that about them. But I do think that they'll be good enough to beat better than Southampton in the next week because they haven't, they haven't suddenly become crap players. And I think that we have been able to have some kind of faith in their ability to perform, not because we're just assuming or based on reputation, but because they've shown us that they have that ability. And when you've got players like Varane and Casemiro, who've seen a lot of things in football, they've taken some beatings, even though they played for Real Madrid, they will know how to bring themselves back and their authority will help bring the bring the rest of the team back. And I'm sure 
Ten Hag won't panic either. And I actually, I thought that, because I was kind of looking forward, not looking forward, that's a dreadful thing to say. I was awaiting the post-match interview to see what the players said. What I thought Ten Hag might do is send on Maguire so that he could come and do the exhibition fronting up afterwards. But he didn't. Bruno Fernandes came and did the interview. And there was none of the miserable contrition we're so sorry and it's so oh man we're so upset and we're going to be working so hard in training to put it right usually you got last season when these collapses were happening which were just so enervating and so undignified Bruno there was no apologizing he just said we had a bad day today we usually play better than this what we played the way we played wasn't good enough and we'll play better than that in the next game and that was much closer to what I wanted to hear because Ultimately, as a professional, when those things happen, you need to put them aside and move on immediately because you've got other games to play and there's no point feeling yourself and getting all sorry for yourself. And although I do think that Bruno has some questions to answer because, as you intimated earlier, he was sort of leading the giving up and he's the captain of the team and the way he and I've given him plenty of praise on here. So I'm obviously going to point out here that he behaved like a whiny little child and that's completely unacceptable, particularly from a captain of United. But the way that he gave that interview afterwards almost suggested that he put it away already. And as supporters, it's not, you don't feel it quite like that. You kind of, you're going about your business and then you're suddenly recalled, Jesus, United lost 7-0 to Liverpool yesterday. And you just remember, but as a professional, those players need to put that away. And it felt like the putting away process has already begun. So, yeah, I would expect them to be all right in the next couple of games. There's definitely a bit of a sense that, look, this is a, a slight market correction for Manchester United, that the stock is still rising and we probably all got a little bit carried away because of the dips that other teams are having and we don't, don't quite know how far away they are from properly contending for a title. But at the same time, these sort of results, these sort of capitulations have happened too often over the past couple of seasons. I mentioned it earlier. Seven against Liverpool, six against Manchester City, five against Liverpool, four against Liverpool, four against Brentford, Brighton, Watford, Leicester. This is a team that when it goes wrong, it tends to go badly wrong for them. How does Uh, Den Hag go, and maybe he's already well along that track, but how does he he get rid of that mental fragility that is there that, that they don't always down tools, but that they somehow can just stay in a game a little bit more and, and, and avoid a humiliation. I guess the only way that is you just, you repair yourself by getting by, by winning more games. And not, not all of these players were part of all the games you mentioned. Quite a lot of them weren't, but some of them were, and they'll know about themselves that they do have this in their locker. And maybe they'll always have it in their locker, but you can still be a good team and have collapses in the locker. We've seen it from Guardiola City quite a lot of times. Like we've seen them do it at Anfield in the quarterfinal of the Champions League, actually. You've seen you've seen good teams collapse. The reason the reason why I guess I didn't expect it was as I mentioned before, one that because I've been on here saying that one of the reasons you see it from Guardiola teams, I think, is because Guardiola doesn't like the kind of personalities that stop that kind of thing from happening. He likes choir boy auto- automatons who'll do what he says. And that sometimes means that you can just dominate games. But it also means sometimes that when things go wrong, they go wrong really badly. And we've seen that quite a few times with City. We saw it in that Liverpool game I mentioned. We've seen it against Tottenham in the Champions League. We saw it against United when they could have beaten United to win the league and they lost them 2-0 down. And so it is possible to be a good team and still have that in your locker. I mean, we've seen Arsenal lose 6-1 at Old Trafford before and that was a team with some very good players in it. So it's more about the more you win, the more you can put away that side of you. Um, but 
it might it might always be there, but it doesn't mean you can't be a good team. And you can look at this United team and you can see that they are a pretty good team now. But it's also very easy to look at that team and see where you need players. You need a right back, you need a better player than Fred, and you need a centre forward, or you need to move Rashford to centre forward if you think he's going to be good enough. And you probably need a goalkeeper as well. And I wouldn't, depending on how much money United have next season... I can't say that I would definitely go out and get a goalkeeper because there are prob- I, I personally have other priorities. And you look at the goals yesterday and you think, do I think any of the seven were De Gea's fault? Not specifically, but then I also think if you'd have had a more proactive goalkeeper behind that defence, do I think United would have conceded seven times? Probably not. So I've now given you four positions where I think United mm. need a better player than the one that they have now. That's almost half a team. So, on the one hand, you can say, well, United are quite a way away from being as good as they need to be. But on the other, you can say, well, they're actually quite good. And if you sorted those areas out, then they'd be really good. But they're the areas, Daniel, are they not the areas that are in almost, I don't say desperate need of repair, but that, you know, are obvious they need to get a better quality of player. Are there not other areas where there are probably some questions as well? Like, is Anthony going to be good enough to be that guy on the right-hand side? Mention the last uh, one. Like, is is yeah, Bruno thought, Fernandez the player who's going to lead you to a title? Like, can Bruno Fernandez captain Manchester United again? Surely not. Yeah. I mean, I thought I thought that. I mean, again, this could sound completely ludicrous, so I always don't really want to say it. But I thought Anthony played play well in the first half yesterday. If we're talking specifically about him, uh, I'm not I'm not judging him based on what I've seen from him this season. But when when I look at Anthony, what I see is I think he scored six goals and f- six goals and five assists. He scored in his first game. And since then, he's played the World Cup and he's been injured twice. So to produce those numbers, including a winning goal against Barcelona, a brilliant winning goal against Barcelona, I think is quite fair for a player who didn't have a preseason, who's moved to a new country, who's young, who's just turned 23. So I don't look at Anthony and think, why on earth did United buy you? I look at him and think, you're a pretty good player now. And over the next couple of years, I would expect you to get quite a lot better under Ten Hag's coaching and also... I trust the manager who knows the player well enough to know that that's what he wants. And I look at United when Anthony plays versus United when Anthony doesn't play. And I see, I mean, obviously yesterday was an anomaly, but I see that the pressing is better. I see that his ability to take the ball under pressure and hang on to it is something that is extremely useful to the team. And if you put a really good right back with him, you'd see a partnership that would give United a much bigger threat down the right-hand side that would be more similar to the threat they have down the left, where Rashford, or whoever it is, usually Marcus Rashford, has Luke Shaw there, who is a much better fullback than anyone that Anthony ever gets to play with. So I don't look at that and think Anthony is rubbish at all. And I also think United have options. They've got Jaden Sancho, They've got Garnacho as the pace to go on the outside. And they've also got Ahmad and Polistri, one of whom I guess will leave in the summer, but they'll have to make a decision about which one it is. And the other one will then be... But none, none of these so. guys have done it yet. No. But you're but talking none, about potential. None of, none of, none of, right, but none of the Arsenal guys have done it until... Well, they've done it now. It. Right, but they're doing it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I would say... Come back right, to me when they've done it. Longer, how much longer has Arteta had with those players? And Arteta now has a player in every single position that he wants, most of whom he bought, right? Um, Ten Hag has had one transfer window to turn a team that was absolutely on its ass to this. And obviously yesterday was a total unmitigated disaster. But if you take the period between losing 6-3 at City and losing 7-0 yesterday, that's quite a long period of 20-something games where United's form was championship-winning form. It was as good as any team in the league. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lose my own, I'm not gonna lose my own personal head and I'm not gonna 
and not going to chuck everything out the window and, 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 and cry like a baby because they lost that game. Although I obviously have sentiments about the way that they performed yesterday, when I'm not going to just look at it in isolation, when there's a fairly significant context that they've won a trophy, they're still in the FA Cup, they beat Barcelona over two legs, who are miles ahead in La Liga, and they beat them quite comfortably in the end. Should have beaten them in both legs, only beat them in one from behind twice. There's a course of dealing that is more significant than what I saw yesterday, although what I saw yesterday was an egregious disgrace. And more than one thing can be true at one time. And I can see that there's, the, there's more than the bones of a good team there. There's a pretty good team there. But what I saw yesterday was unacceptable. But I don't expect this to be the defining match of this team. I expect them to... I expect them to get better. I expect them to get better immediately. I expect them to get better over the next year or two. And if they sign the right players in the summer, then I think we'll see a very good team next next year. And again, with our, if you look at what Arteta was doing yesterday, last season, Arsenal are now clear in the league. United now are much better than Arsenal were last season. Do you think that's fair to say? I think there's a higher calibre of player at Arsenal, or at Manchester United, certainly with the likes of Varane and Casemiro. Obviously, the potential was there, it seems, in Arsenal that maybe we hadn't realised that Saka was going to come on and become world-class and that Martinelli was going to be world-class and Odegaard was going to be Martinelli's world-class. Martinelli's not world-class, didn't you? Think, ah, he's right? getting there. He's, he's getting he's a there. He's player, and I'm not dissing him. World-class? How many... I he's getting there. Ten wingers in the world, literally off the top of my head, that are better than Gabriel Martinelli. And that's not because he's not a good player. He's an excellent player. He's got a lot of potential, but world-class... Well, he's really getting there. He's, get, he's, he's unbelievably talented player. He's several, several talented. If you say that Gabriel Martinelli is unbelievably talented, that doesn't leave you very far to go with the players that are better than him. How would you describe the players that are better than him? He's unbelievable. <laughs> what does he do that is unbelievable? What have you seen Gabriel Martinelli do? You think, I cannot believe that's unbelievable. I've seen the way he's played this season. He's a good he's player. Helped his side to, he's helped his side to the top of the Premier League. Yeah, he's a really, he's a good player. He's, he's, he's a good player. He's not unbelievable. So he's just a step above average. No, he's not. I say he's a really good player. Very he's good. He's very good. He's not unbelievable. He's very good. He's nowhere near unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. I can't believe everything that I've seen Gabriel Martinelli do. And he's someone we were saying for the last few weeks should lose his place to Trotter because he's run out of form. I think he's found his form. He's he's, uh, he's he's a good player, but he's not he's not unbelievable. He's not. And United have a better player in that position, in my opinion. I think Marcus Rashford is a better player than Gabriel Martinelli. I don't think that's a particularly controversial thing to say. I'm just saying that if you're saying that United, why should we? But there's no there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees that United get to that level. Of course, and there are no guarantees with anything. I'm just saying that I would say that um, Ten Hag has had what seven eight months with this team, right? Seven eight months with this team, and if you allow him. If you if you think that he knows what he's doing, it's fair to say that United will sign a two, three, four players in the summer that will make probably make them better. And if you're saying, and I'm saying that I think they'll be good next season, and if I look at Arsenal, United are much further ahead this season of where Arsenal were last season. I, that doesn't seem controversial because we have all sorts of evidence that backs up. Where did Arsenal finish last season? What fifth, sixth? United? I'm not. I'm not saying it's controversial. I'm saying that we just don't know if United are going to make that next step. Arsenal no, have done it. Of course you don't know, but the improvement that Ten Hag has brought about in very little time, right? We're agreed that that's happened, yeah? Nobody, nobody's we... disputing that. Right, so why are we saying that you think the improvement will stop when he's got the opportunity to... I haven't, I, have, I haven't said at any stage that the improvement will stop. I'm saying but there's no guarantee the improvement will be the same as Arsenal's improvement. No, no, I'm saying there's no, no guarantee that Manchester City won't improve again. No, no, but back, everyone's... Manchester United could improve next season quite a bit, but they could still find themselves quite a bit behind Manchester City. Uh, they could, but they're not that far behind Manchester City now. 
So a city might city might go away again, but what I, what I'm, I think that the difference between United and the teams that are above them, and there are only two teams that are above them. Let's remember. I would say that those managers, Arteta and Guardiola, have pretty much a player that they want in every position, and Tenach doesn't have that yet. He's had he's had seven eight months with this team that was on its ass. He's made them into a good team, and it's fair to think that he will make them into a better team. I'm not making any predictions. I didn't say United are going to win the league next season. I'm just, you asked me, you asked me if I thought that they were going to be, if I thought they were going to continue improving. And I do. And I compared them to where Arsenal were because I think Arteta has had a lot longer with his players than Ten Hag has had with his. Uh, we think that Ten Hag's a good manager, which I think we do. I don't think it's controversial to say that Ten Hag is a good manager. It's fair to say that United will improve. And, a 7-0 defeat at Anfield is obviously completely horrendous behaviour from all concerns, but it doesn't make me forget everything that I've seen until this point that makes me think that they'll get better again next season. It's all semantics, lads. United were shy, Liverpool were brilliant. That's it. Common denominator uh, in the morning. That's it. It's all we can say, isn't it? Like, there's, there's not much more to, to add. Well, I, I, there's, 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 always, there's always more. And when, I, when, I don't think we can call something semantics, because semantics means you're trying to describe things in words and that's how we communicate so when people say it's semantics it, it sort of means that like yes that, that it's, it sort of usually functions as some kind of dismissal but semantics are how we make ourselves understood so they're actually quite important but i mean to the extent that any of this stuff we're talking about is important but you can look i think there'll always be more to look you can look at things in isolation and say liverpool were brilliant united were crap but except Liverpool being Liverpool being brilliant is something we've seen before, so we want to think about why were they brilliant, what allowed them to be brilliant, and then we're going to go and see them continue playing like that. And similarly, we've seen United collapse like that many times before, so we're trying to think about what is it that was unique about this particularly humiliating collapse, and do we think that it will continue? And I'm saying that I wouldn't be surprised if this group of players have more defeats like that in them, but I also think that it's possible for them to be a really good team that wins trophies and still occasionally do that. Daniel, thank you as always. See you again, lads. Mm-hmm. Sorry, have a good day, everyone. You too. Anthony Mowles, good morning. Gent, how are you? <laughs> Fantastic. I don't mind waiting for the uh, foreign game every other <laughs> Wow, wow, he's gone all <laughs> in. That's fired, I love it. Gale has entered the studio. <laughs> well, I'm very... Uh, Bring yourself to watch it yesterday. This is like... Uh, I, I feel like I've just come on to Today Tonight or something. It's, it's quite <laughs> argumentative this morning. Lads didn't have their porridge or something's up. It is, it is. What can we all agree on in uh, Gaelic football? <laughs> Diving. It's a scourge. It's a scourge. scourge. yeah. Speaking of the foreign game. See, it leaks in everywhere. Yeah, is it a yeah, scourge? Yeah. Is this... Is this one of these things that happens in the league where we focus for two, three weeks on something that's not the actual results and we can isolate a couple of incidents or is there a greater issue here with players getting a little nudge and there's a lot of dunce in Gaelic football and just throwing themselves down? Yeah, I, t- I thought to myself, watching the league over the last number of weeks, I was kind of being maybe lulled into that the same, Nathan. I was kind of saying, ah, is it just is it just a thing that's kind of happening at the moment? Um but I, I watched a lot of football over the weekend and it's happening more and more and more. And it's definitely something that I think is being exploited by management teams. Um, honestly, by the way, this, this, this happens every year, you know. Uh, there's always kind of these unintended consequences when, when things are changed mm. uh, or a rule is brought into whatever sport. Um, and the big, big rule, of course, and the big thing that has always been a bit of a misnomer in GAA is the tackle. So what's happening now, um, I find, and, and you can see it with, with say, packed defences, 
and most 32 counties now try to get behind the ball that's just a given um, and what you try to do is obviously slow teams down and then if you want to try to break that you either shoot from distance or you come at speed at angles and you you know you go with a person's shoulder or whatever it is and you come at an angle to try and beat a defender but of course what's happening now is is that if you run into that honeypot shall we say and a guy manages to hold you up well then there's enough bodies around that they'll trap you very very quickly and generally you'll get done for overcarrying. So the honest player who actually tries to stay in his feet and maybe break that tackle or get his hands free that he can offload the ball is actually getting done for overcarrying. So fellas probably have looked at it and said, actually in that instance, if you just go, go down. down there, you'll get a free. And because it's happening so fast, um, you know, in the sense of I'm going to left to right and a man is coming off my shoulder and I flick him a pass and he's running at a, at a different angle. The referee, first of all, has to quickly change his eyes as the, as, 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 as the, uh, the, the, the diagonal of the, of, the, of the play goes. And then invariably he runs into a tackle and in that split second, the guy goes down and you go, was he tripped? Was he, you know, was he caught high? Um, was it a good tackle? Was it a bad tackle? And more than likely, as he hits that, the referee just blows the whistle. And that's it. And you're seeing a lot of that. Now, that, that's a kind of a, a tackle situation. Because yeah, there's, there's also two, a lot of other different things. Which yes. Is, so you're talking about just the, game, the, the way the rules have changed. There's a benefit to going down easily. There's the other bit, which is play acting. Play acting, exactly. Which, which, so, so, so the first one, I think, can... Um, needs to be looked at and it, it is it is a more difficult one for a referee it is okay um but i think they'd probably need to talk about it and when they get into the championship they need to define exactly well sorry they won't define but they need to just be on the lookout for because i think there's there's a lot of certain types of players who are doing it you know the usual where you grab your arm and then try to bring you down you know when the arm comes the in over yeah. yeah that one that one's a classic so and, and it should be picked up really it should be picked up by referees i find sometimes referees as well are fine themselves in advanced positions I've watched a lot of, as I said even over the weekend where where referees are positioning themselves kind of in at the top of the D actually when the play is slow yeah. which actually is, is, is a hindrance to the attacking team and it's actually a help for the defenders team because you now have someone who's actually in the space that maybe you're trying to create but anyway getting back to the feigning I think that's a scourge Nathan um, So there was a few issues yesterday there was one with Sean Kelly in the Monaghan game where again it feels like he goes down very easily Yeah, uh, was it Connor Cox who ran into Matty Ryan at some stage in the Mayo vs Common game Yeah, that it's part of the problem here that there's such a pressure now being put on all the officials the uh, umpires to see everything and that they kind of feel if something happens the referee will come to them what did you see I'm not sure there was a little coming together and again, players realising, well, there's a good chance if I go down here, the, the umpire will overreact and you'll tell the referee there was a bit more in it than there actually was. Yeah, and what's happening then as well is if you go down, so Shane gives you a don't, you go down. I come in and I'm appalled by this and I'm your f- teammate and I'm pushing Shane and I'm calling the referee and there's a load of, you know, roaring and shouting. Mm-hmm. And of course, the elevation is straight away lifted. So the referee's looking around, you know, this is a catastrophe. Something's yeah, obviously yeah. gone on here. It's all very, very elevated. And the course is, they're now going and as you say, an umpire may have seen a bit of it. He may not have seen it. Uh, he mightn't have seen what actually happened prior to it. So in other words, actually Shane hit you first or Shane stood on your foot or whatever it is. Um, so there's loads of those incidences. I, I, like, I mean, it's been happening throughout the league, mm. right? There's been a couple of fellas uh, who have done it in the in, in, in last number of weeks who have got guys sent off um, or even got guys onto yellow cards which have ultimately then got a second yellow and got sent off. So I think it's... 
I, I hate it. I have to be honest with you. I think it's. I think if I like. I mean, if I was managing a team and have managed the teams in the past, if I saw a player doing it to try to get someone sent off, I'd actually take the player off. That's how much it actually irks me. I think no managers doing that though, are they? They're not. But like, I mean, that's. I don't care. I'm talking about yeah. myself. Um, I think it's. I, th- I think it's. I think it's a really, really weak mental attitude um, I think it's a horrible thing to do because if you're man enough you know you, you live by the sword you die by the sword is my attitude when it comes to when it comes to football so you dish it out and you take it back and it's a physical game and this kind of stuff where I see it going on I think is a disgrace I think it needs to be called out and I think as soon as someone gets a straight red or whatever it is for doing it now I don't know what the rule is maybe it's a yellow card probably more than likely it probably is it needs to be stamped out it really does it's so difficult though for the officials and have an awful lot sympathy because in an awful lot of the ones we've seen over the weekend there is a little bit of physical contact so a hand is put on so if you're sort of half seen out the corner of your eye a hand been put on and, and, and I do feel when you're watching it the player goes down must be embarrasses or falling where they go yeah. I've overreacted oh god I've gone this far I just got to keep falling yeah, I, I can't yeah, pretend yeah. now that I put yeah, this on yeah. would well, you remember a couple of years ago Tiernan McCann oh, he got absolutely he got, it's, it's the he, first he, thing I think of still when I think of Tiernan McCann for all his brilliance castigated for it you know and now it's become again what, what, what sometimes happens is the more frequency it just becomes the norm mm. so people become kind of of, you know, nearly numb to it, and they kind of expect it. It's like the overcarrying. I put up a thing yesterday about the overcarrying. The video, yeah. There's so, oh. but there's there's so many things that are happening at the moment, and it's nearly just people are kind of watching the game. They're kind of going. Well, they're not even getting kind of uh, worked up about it anymore because it's nearly part and parcel. But I tell you what helps that, Nathan. And this is like people go on about, oh, do you need a video ref? Do you need this? Do you need that? Like. A couple of years ago, we brought in Hawkeye, right? And people were kind of saying, oh, do we really need Hawkeye? When you kind of would say, do we really? Like, I mean, how many sets of eyes are watching as a ball goes past the post, right? But Hawkeye, by and large, has been a very, very positive introduction. Like, I mean, remember last year where it kind of went on the on the Twitch and people were like, disasters, what are we going to do? <laughs> Hawkeye isn't working, you know? So, you know, kind of press start again. So... I do not know, especially for championship, how why we can't bring in a video ref for those types of situations. I'm not saying for overcarrying. Where, where, where do you start? Where do you stop with that? Well, I honestly think for anything that's involving a kind of a, a, a you know a situation where there's a coming together, as in off the ball or you know on the ball, it's a yellow card or a potential red card or it's a something involving something like a dismissal. I'm not saying I know it's difficult, right? I know it is difficult, and I'm not saying I haven't. Like I mean, this isn't something where you're saying right. We have to set the parameters. To more. Because the problem but there I is think the Hawkeye problem of so the dubs are going to be punished all the time because they play all their games in Crow Park and they'll have 20 different cameras on them whereas if you're down in Sean McDermott Park in Carrick and Shannon you'll get away with murder because they won't have any cameras. That's true, that's true but I think if, if you have championship there's, there's generally I don't know three or four cameras if RTE or TG Carr or whoever is doing it um, I'm sure you can get an angle on those incidences it's not like it's in lightning speed a lot of them are these kind of things where you know I've tackled you or the ball has gone and then next thing I throw an elbow back or I push you or something like this. It's, it's generally innocuous stuff. Um, but, I, OK, if that can't be done, which I think it should be done, it has to be looked at. Um, or, 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 you know, you just throw another two sets of eyes on it. Mm-hmm. Just put another two. Put a, put a, like, we ha- they have an assistant referee. Put one on the far side. Put one in each half. Like, just actually loaded up with fellas who are actually have the ability to kind of watch. And literally, you would say as a referee when you're going out, because they all talk to me, the linesmen, the umpires, say, listen, I want you to observe stuff as the play is flowing away or as you're literally watching players coming together. You know, so you, 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 you know, like, I mean, you know when it's going to happen. You can nearly see the flashpoint before but it starts. The, is, 
And Jesus, if you're going down the VAR route in GEA, it feels a, a very dangerous road when you look at what's happened in football and it seems to have created even more controversy, if anything, yeah. in, in the Premier League over the last couple of seasons. It's part of the problem, particularly with Gaelic football, that like, it is a physical game. So there is constantly comings together that sort of are in that grey zone of, well, is it a foul? Is it nasty? Like, is it, what's a dunt? What's a dunt? What's yeah, the I know. What's yeah. the difference between a dunt and a red card? Like, is you know, do I need to properly hit you? Is that a red card or yeah, do I need to hit you yeah. in the face? Yeah, I know. Well, I, I, you know, again, I think I know I'm getting it back if I do either of these things. You know, no, 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 no. But it's it it is it is a question, and and it's 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 very valid because where do you draw the line? Um, I think I think it, look, there 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 are there are red card offences. Yeah, you know, and there are yellow card offences, and then there's just the kind of thing of listen, get up. You know, so it it needs it is difficult because, as I said, the tackle, all of those various different things were you know it hasn't been massively defined. Um, so you're in a situation where if I catch you here on the shoulder, but my hand slips up because you have actually dipped your head, and next thing I hit your head, is that a straight red for me? Um, so do I actually have to tackle lower? All of those various different things. And the speed and the athleticism and the way guys are playing and the way the game has changed, where you're essentially sometimes running into a bulk of players, that only adds to the, to the incidences of it. If I'm going to play devil's advocate, now you're saying you take off a player if he, if he feigned injury. So the, the feigning injury or the overcarrying or the, putting the diving the head into, the, into a tackle, the reality is you have to do anything you can to win a game of football. And these players know that. So in many regards, I'm not sure what teams or what players are being told to go out and do this sort of stuff. But the dark arts has been around for a long time and I don't think it's, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. Well, the dark arts has. Um, I, I just think, when I'm saying, if, if so, if I was managing a team, you lads are on the team, and I see you know, someone going down easy, trying, I, I think what it does is it comes back to get you, right? I just think that's just, in my view, that's just the wrong way to play the sport, okay? If you're hurt, and you have to be down. I've no no issue with that. Okay. Now, if I'm racing through on goal and I feel a tug on my jersey or whatever it is, and I go down, I'm not whipping you off for that, <laughs> right? Okay. You've bought it free, and it's actually up to the referee. You've made, you know, they, there has been an error. That's made, feigning as well, like the Sean Kavanagh, Conor McManus incident. Feigning. Yeah, it's feigning, but it's it's not. I'm not feigning to take you sent off. I'm not feigning to get you a red card. You know, I think get an advantage though. Yes, you are fain to get an advantage, but you know it's so. So maybe, maybe I haven't thought this one through enough this morning. <laughs> <laughs> this is way too. I knew I was coming on to today tonight. A couple, a couple of weeks ago, uh, John Giles was in the studio, and I asked him uh, if VAR was in existence during the seventies. How many red cards he would get, and he said, oh, "I wouldn't have got any because grievous bodily harm was in existence." <laughs> yeah. Contact, uh, if VAR was around when you were playing for me, the well, I'll tell you, you'd have one, you'd have one less Leinster title to start. Uh, but <laughs> how many red cards? <laughs> No, but like it's it's I I I, I take your point, um, and there is the thing of you go out and you win at all costs. So so what does it all come back down to? It all comes back down to official, yeah. and it all comes back down to the ability to actually officiate mm. in the proper manner. So people will say, ah, oh, well, referees. I, I think I, referees have a really unbelievably difficult problem, and and the problem is they are mic'd up. I think they definitely need more assistance. So they need more assistance where someone who's even just watching a a 
the match someone is watching the coverage and is able to just quickly go back and say no listen that was whatever it was you, you would be there all day you're right Nathan mm-hmm. if you were going back on VAR and doing a situation like that and going back to the incident you know where did the source of the score come from and was there a free that should have been given all the way back there I don't think so but I think in certain things like Hawkeye is a very specific thing and I think you could get a very specific thing for some incidences whereby a player is 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 deemed to have been hit and has gone down or something along those lines. When you get into the steps, you get into loads of different things, the time-wasting. Um, you know, a goal goes in against Mayo yesterday in Common, and the goalkeeper jumps for Cox, stands up then straight away after it and then realises, actually, I better, probably should go down here and take the sting out of the game. And next thing, he's down holding his leg and he yeah. takes a good two minutes. But like that's all part and parcel of it now. And again, all of that. But I just think there is a bit too much of this... Um, where it is, there is either little or no contact, but guys are going down. It is embarrassing, as you say, um, and, and, and I think it has to be stamped out. We're, we're not going to have any time to talk about the actual matches over the weekend at this rate. Yeah, uh, no, sorry Derry against Dublin. So uh, Derry of this brilliant second half comeback. Yeah. We were just talking about Brendan Rodgers and how influential he was. You were in last week talking about Kieran Kilkenny and maybe... I don't want to put words in your mouth. His game, not the you know, he's still doing the same thing he did five years ago, and he was the best in, in the game and probably the best we've ever seen in the game at recycling possession. That incident in the second half where he hand-passes it over the bar instead of going across to Cormac Costello and they get the goal and they probably win the game. What's the mindset of, Corm- of Kieran Kilkenny in that position? I don't know. Like, I mean, he, he, he's, like, Kieran is the type of fella who, who you would regularly look and he's getting a 7 out of 10. You know, he's solid. He's getting on lots and lots of ball. He's doing a role that is perfectly suited to Dublin, I think. But Dublin maybe of the last five or six, seven years, they, they again... Do you feel he's, when you say seven out of ten every game, do you feel he sacrifices himself for the team that actually he could be, and he could have been the star man of that team for the last five, six years? He could be a Brian Fenton, the nine out of ten every game, but actually he plays within himself for the betterment of the group? Well, I think, no, I think what he does is he provides a very, very solid, sure role, which is that he very rarely gets dispossessed. He very rarely gives the ball away. Um, I'd say his stats are that most of the time he is delivering, and as I say, he's, he's very, very little balls given away. But I don't. Listen, I think the modern game, you have to be able to, um, we've spoken about this a lot of times, you have to take chances, okay? You have to be willing to either offload as you're coming, like rugby, you know, into a tackle. You have to be willing to take a chance to go at teams. You have to be willing to put a long ball in every now and again. You have to be willing to spread the play quickly. Or else you're just going to go into this lateral game, which is which is which is killing sometimes uh, uh, teams in football games. So, uh, but I think when he looks inside, they're light up front, Dublin at the moment. You know, Larkin Odell, Dean Rock didn't really do great yesterday. Costello was in and out of it. They're working hard. They're all working really, really solid, but they just don't have that spark that they had in that forward line where it really scares the daylights out. He as a corner back. You know, even Khan flashes of it. But the one where he comes in, I think. I think what's going through his mind there is probably conservatism, really, Nathan. Because if he looks up and takes a quick scan across, it's a quick hand pass to Costello. And, and dare I say, they probably win that game there. You know, because it's 64, 65 minutes on the clock. And Costello sticks that away. Um, and they probably push on. So it's, it's, it's just, I feel with that Dublin team at the moment, like Lee Gannon kicks three. Uh, I, think, I think Fenton got two. Um, so you know where the score, whereas before it would have been always very forward heavy scores from Dublin now it's been spread around and there's nothing wrong with that but you're kind of thinking what are we not doing 
that we can't get our inside guys on the ball to yeah. take shots, to take scores. And 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 look, fellas will probably argue and say, well, that is the modern day. You need cornerbacks and you need half forwards and midfielders take or halfbacks taking points, and that is true. But also, you would think with the power that they have up there, that they need to, they need to be getting more. We knew Division Two was going to be where it was at this season. I mean, you just look at the eight teams at the start of it, Kildare. I mean, I don't know where to start with Kildare. Seven points they only scored against Derry and Cork, I think. Twelve points of the weekend, but still losing to Louth by five points. And they're in serious. I'm just looking at their at their fixture. So themselves and Clare on two points. Uh, Kildare have Limerick away and Meath at home, whereas Clare have Derry away and then Limerick at home. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel his eyes on me straight away. Kildare beat Limerick next week. It's uh, it's probably going to be Kildare Meath. Well, for well, a place I, in I, I can I can guarantee you Meath have the Dolby Kildare Meath in the last day. I just I just it's just. Relegation shootout. Yeah, it's just written in the. Who's going right? down? Because t- two relegations on, on the trot would be disaster for Kildare. <laughs> I'm not saying it wouldn't be a disaster to get relegated for me either, but I mean, there's so much on the line with the Tottenham Cup as well. If I'm looking at the psychology of it, Mead go in against Dublin in Navan, and most Mead supporters would go to it thinking, "Well, we're not going to win this game, so a good performance is kind of what." We're, so, what's a good performance? Is that being bet by eight or nine in the end, and you just loads of effort and da da da? What? So, so if 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 you get that, the psychology may not be too bad going into that last game. Okay, Kildare play who? Kildare have Limerick away before the Mead game. Well, like Limerick. Could have beaten Mead yesterday, okay? Mead missed a bit at the end, but Limerick, you know, and, and that's after Limerick getting their handed to them for over the last number yeah. of weeks, right? So, you know, definitely the confidence is low in Mead. The defensive setup is, 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 is poor. Um, so you're coming in deciding if Claire, if Kildare managed to get back on the horse a bit against Limerick. Now their confidence is kind of getting back up and saying, right, and it, it is a shootout. And Kildare, you know, Mead, Kildare, some of the... So it, it always seems to be the last game. Jeez, the amount of times we play Kildare in the last day. <laughs> In Navin is unbelievable, and generally it's for something where you're either getting promoted or relegated. So I don't know. It's Kildare, Kildare looking bother. Like Loud won that game pulling up, lads. Like yeah. pulling up. You know they had they had the game probably done by half time. You know Glenn Ryan, I think feels like a fella. He's saying getting back to basics, and our basics aren't good. That's that's. You know what does that mean? You know that's the kind of guy who's probably scratching his head. He's not saying our defensive system's not good. Our attack. He's saying our basics are not good. That's not something either an inter-county manager can sort. Like, that stuff from being a kid. If your basics aren't good, if your kick-pass and your decision-making isn't good when you arrive in, I know it can get better, but like you need that stuff when you land it, as a senior it, well, it, It's a worry for a team that were Division 1 and are now Division 2 and are now potentially looking at Division 3. So, uh, what has changed? Because I would have felt, like, even from the first, if we, if we rattle back to only about, what, five, six, seven weeks ago when they played Dublin and Crow Park... They could have bet Dublin that night. And they looked quite decent, actually, killed there. And so confidence has been ripped out of that panel. They're trying everything and anything to get things going. And kind of a la Tyrone, I know we spoke about this last week, they need a spark. Tyrone have got that spark. And the spark only comes from hard work. Mm. And Tyrone put that in against Kerry. You watch the intensity that Tyrone brought to that. Every single fella did their job. Mm. Every single guy chased and harried and hassled. And if you watch the flip side to a Kildare, just even watch the second goal. As soon as it happens, there's two or three Kildare guys coming back. They don't sprint back to the D. They don't get back to the danger zone and the goal goes in. And they're the small things. The spark's not going to come from a guy kicking 1-7. That's not going to happen. The spark only comes from uh, putting the shoulder to the wheel. And Tyrone did it. And now, all of a sudden, Tyrone are like, oh, 
Monaghan, Tyrone and Clonus the next day. Delete all the uh, Tyrone and Crisis articles that we did last week. Exactly, yeah. Anthony, great stuff as always. Thanks for joining us in Cheers, studio. Uh, don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTB Podcast Network, bringing you everything you need to know about rugby. It's all in partnership with Deliveroo. Deliveroo has some great bundles and deals, so open up the app, make your choice, and watch your rider come to you. Deliveroo, food, we get it. Alan Quinlan is in studio next. Right now, though, some more from Mark Lawrence on Football Saturday, talking tactics from his time as a player. Would you have made changes in game? Would you were you as empowered by the manager at the time to be able to adapt to the game to say right we're going to sit for five minutes we're under the cost or uh, now that's just a simplistic point of view but you know this winger's Graham coming was. in this this yeah this winger's coming in off the line he's causing yeah. us trouble so we need to adapt to it was were you able to do that. Yeah, yeah, we were. But, I mean, we were also getting screamed at by Ronnie Moran, but he screamed at you when you were 6-0 up, so it didn't make any difference. But, um, <laughs> when, 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 we played, yeah, when we played in Europe, and, and uh, I remember talking to Joe Fagan about this, and we very rarely talked about tactics or anything. It was just one day we were kind of chatting about something, and, he, and, and, I, and I said, like, um, I haven't been there that long and most definitely when we were in Europe, we played four, five, one. Yeah. Right. And and I said, and I said, so he just dropped Kenny in. He said, you know what, son? He said, he dropped himself in. Yeah. And instead of saying, oh yeah, yeah, we're all, we're all brilliant. We're all geniuses. He went, he just, he said, he worked it out that, that away from home in Europe, you know, obviously sometimes under the cosh, he just worked out that where we, he was going to get space or we could hit him with the ball was in a certain position. And, yeah. and and that's what he did. Um, so you can speak about tactics all day long. I mean, there's, lo- there's lots of good stories about the boot room guys as well about that. And I think they, they went to uh, West Ham and <clears throat> I can't remember who, I think it was Ron Green who was, was the manager. And Liverpool were 3-0 up at half time. And as it came out in the second half and, and you know, both of the, uh, the dugouts sat down, I think... I think Ron Green was shouting, you know, just remember our practicalities and all that. And apparently running around turned around to, to Joe Fagan and he said, oh, we're struggling now, we're going to have to play against practicalities, <laughs> as in taking the mickey out of them. But look, there's, you know, we, we've, all, we've all got different ways of looking at it, but it doesn't really change, does it? It is Monday morning's OTB AM. You can watch us on all of Off The Ball's social channels. You can listen in on the OTB app every single morning. It's Nathan and Shane with you this morning, OTBM is with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Alan Quinlan was in earlier than I've ever seen him in before. He didn't sleep all night with the excitement. And it wasn't Orgy Snyman's comeback that was keeping him going over the weekend. He brought in a little can of seven up there, I noticed, Quinny. Always here. This is, this this is an this unbiased sports radio show of Monday so morning. Subtle, not so subtle, Quinny. I turn it this way, yeah, so everyone can see. Um, you enjoyed that, did you? It was a nice day, wasn't it? Just uh, anything happen in particular? Look at the Shane, smug, Shane, look at the Shane, smug Shane, head. Shane, Shane there, Shane's oh, blanked it out got already. So smug. much abuse in the last few months. Oh, really? My United mates and slagging that um, I didn't send out any messages. So you just, uh, just, uh, just that's winding them up even more. Just than staying you feel. quiet. Yeah, that's even better. Just normal. Any news? Yes, I did text one, just asking any news, any, any, anything to report. <laughs> Bit of a freakish <laughs> day, wasn't it? Nothing back there. Uh, freakish-ish. 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 Was, yeah. But look, the other side of that is... Where's it been? You, there's been a few bad ones this year if you're a Liverpool supporter. That was kind of going from the bottom of the barrel right to the top, really, with the elation that you would have got from that. 
Um, we'll probably be back to our usual cells next Saturday and maybe a draw against Bournemouth. But you've had some tough days coming in here with bad Munster losses and bad yeah, Liverpool the losses. the first half of... Uh, the, the second half of 2022 was a disaster. September, <laughs> August, September, uh, October... Um, things changed for months or a little bit in November but it was so up and down for Liverpool wasn't it I, but I, listen I don't lose any sleep over it I can assure you but it was still nice that um, the three points were the, the important part of it you uh, know? This, 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 have don't you ever heard more professional sportsman talk it's all about the three points top one nil win you'd have taken it yeah. it's all about the three points I te- I'd have taken a one all draw before the game yesterday so you'll definitely take because United have been very good to be fair they've been very good but um Anyway, just it's a bit of a reality reality check for them, isn't is that, it? Is that ever happened in your rugby career? It wouldn't have happened much. much what was the much biggest around, beating you ever took? Yeah, like how do you um, respond to that? Somebody asked me that outside there, and I remember going to Cardiff. I think it was two thousand and four after Wasps knocked us out of the the European Cup. I was coming back from my shoulder injury, um, the one at the World Cup previously in in um, previous October. So I'd been out for a long period of time and um, obviously Wasp won the game. It was that memorable game in, in Lansdowne Road. I think we played... Then we had a league game to play against Cardiff um, maybe two weeks later. Not even. A week later, was it? Five days later. Five days later. So you must have played the, score the semi-final on the Sunday and then had to play yes, Cardiff yeah. on the Friday. Correct. He lost by 60 points to 14. I remember that game well. Just running back under the post. It was my first game back from... Uh, from the injury, and um, I don't. I'll ne- you'll never. You don't forget those ones. We Roy Keane said yesterday, he's like, if that was if that happened to me, I'd go and hide for months. Yeah, there was a huge number of changes in our team, and a lot of younger players. And then Cardiff had a very strong side, and um, they were high fiving, and uh, we were running under the post every two minutes in the second half of that game. We were destroyed, and I remembered well. There's no other kind of game that I can remember that we were beaten so so um, convincingly score wise. Um, in the earlier days a few second string Munster crashed to their seventh defeat in eight Celtic League games yeah, yeah it was nine it was tries up and down but um, that oh, one wait, wait. Munster coach Alan Gaffney made nine changes to the side who cruelly lost of course that European Cup semi-final to Wasps last weekend it was a few too many though one new name that leapt out was that of back row Alan Quinlan returning oh, for his first <laughs> game since injuring his shoulder while scoring Ireland's only try against Argentina in the World Cup yeah. of the new look Munster side only inside centre Rob Henderson really impressed well done, you got, you, got, you got to mention anyways. We got walloped, yeah, against a strong card of sight. Do you have team meetings then in the week following? Like, how do you oh, respond listen, to that? Listen, it, ter- it was a terrible... P- going out in the, the, the European Cup and to the Wasps um, has an effect. And uh, I don't know where we weren't in contention for the league either. So that was it. We were just um, seeing out the last couple of fixtures. And I think, look, to be fair, we might have come back and played two or three more and, and, and finished the season strongly. But um, that one sticks out. That sport, isn't it? The ups and downs of it, and doesn't nobody would have predicted that yesterday. And uh, sometimes sport throws up those crazy results. Maybe it's it was the good Lord above was just trying to give us poor uh, Liverpool fans a little bit of a lift after all the setbacks during the season and the the slagging we're getting. So. Uh, you're on commentary for Munster Scarlets, which was uh, exciting in its own way. Munster forty nine, Scarlets forty two. It's supposed to be up there with yeah, the yeah. highest scoring Munster games of all time. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, given Munster were 35-7 up at half time, played really well in the first half and then complete role reversal. I think Scarlet's just um, 
probably a mixture of them waking up and Munster being a little bit porous in defence and crazy scoreline, you know, at 47-42, you'd think Scarlets could snatch a draw here and Mm. uh, Munster were kind of hanging on a bit near the end. But um, again, they can take so much out of the attack. um, But I think probably a learning curve for them would be being able to control and deal with this and being ruthless and learning that and, and sometimes you need to learn that in sport about that ruthless edge and um, there was a, there's always going to be an obvi- a reaction from the team you're walloping in the first half um, Scarlets are even though they had a dreadful start to the season they won their last four games and on paper some very good players in that team so I think what Wel- Welsh Rugby is going through as well I, I feel sad Um watching them at the moment um, Cardiff against Ulster on Saturday night and you're just thinking the Ospreys were beaten by Benetton Connacht beat the Dragons obviously it's good for Irish mm. Connacht that game but you know four losses uh, for the four regions at the weekend given everything that's gone off on, off the field um, it's shocking the story about Willis Halaholo, um he got injured last week for, for Cardiff um, did his Achilles uh, he's out for the rest of the season now. He's out of contract. Um, the offer he's got is tiny. He he took to Twitter at the weekend if anyone wants to see it. Uh, basically saying I I won't be able to pay my, you know, feed my family at the end of this because you know we've got mortgage or rent or whatever he's got to pay. And I think he would have been probably one of those players who's on 150 200 grand as an international player in in a cl- in. You know, in a club like Cardiff, who's been offered thirty thousand now, uh, it's a massive drop. But the problem he has, whatever about the contract offer, no club will take him now. He's in injury, so it's tough going. And um, so I was in some par- parts of me on Friday night. I was glad that the Scarlets came back Double and made twice. a game of it. But look, the big story is it's it's Munster's is the tenth win in thirteen games um, since the the South African game in November and. You know, we just mentioned the start of the season, how tricky it was. But Orgy Snyman back on Friday night. Yeah, that, that's that's a big one. He it, the stats say he made five tackles and one carry. Um, again, memories for me of coming back in all six from my my knee injury. And anybody, you're any not looking to GA make an impact in the game player. on the first night back. You're no, just you're not. Test and, and the legs. It must be crazy what's going on in his head because you know this is a. It was the second injury. Um, he had a setback. Then uh, you know he's been out eighteen months with the second cruciate. Um, he should be back probably a little bit way sooner than that. But he had another setback in his knee as well, so two cruciate injuries and and some other problem that was there on his comeback. Um, so you can imagine what the player is thinking and what kind of nervousness he's going through to get back out onto the field. But it was a nice moment because. Like he is. Even if you one don't of like Monster, players. it's it's you like to see a yeah. player come back and get an opportunity to. Because from what he from where he was beforehand, you know. Well, that's what I was going to say. Because when South we look Africa, at Monster, there seems to be a feeling that they, you know, even if they get this together, there's still a ceiling because of the quality of players they have. He's actually somebody who, if he could somehow get back to his very best, can see them smash any ceiling that's there. Yeah, he he obviously add to any team that he would go in and, um, you know, Dave. The, the, the turnaround from them has been very encouraging but they're still a little bit short physically in certain areas mm. and, and depth wise um, there's lots of positive young players that have come through 
Um, but having him back, you know, he and any team, Nathan, at international level, if he's fit and well, and just you could see the way he was able to play with play for, for South Africa and the performances he was putting in and the way he kind of announced himself to the world. Um, the depth they had in that second row position at that World Cup in 2019, South Africa, um, and both himself and Damien Dialende signing for Munster a number of years ago was obviously they were two marquee signings. Mm. Um, Dialende is gone. Um, this fella got, a, got offered a new contract and is it an hour of rugby in two and a half, three years? So it's 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 tough for him, you know, and take away any kind of sort of allegiances. I think everyone would want to see this a sports person get back and get an opportunity to to play for Munster and play play rugby again. It can give you a serious boost to team when, when a player like that returns because it, yeah, it almost feels like a new signing. In many yeah, ways. it is. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately for Munster, Tyburn is out for the rest of the season, so he may get back for a little bit at the end. But you could think you would too think much to expect Snyman to make any sort of impression like is he, is he in a position where he could be starting that game in the Champions Cup in a few weeks I don't know I think he, he needs a fair bit of rugby under his mm. belt and um, you know they'll probably manage this situation in a way that's um, best for the player not best for them in a the sense that they're going to take huge risk for him I think you know Glasgow in a couple of weeks again they play after the Six Nations and I, I, I doubt you'd be starting him in that game you'd be trying to get him another 20-30 minutes again um, and then they go to the Sharks so um, I don't I don't see it I think the worst the, the, the biggest problem for anyone who's had a, an operation and out for a long term injury is usually the, the the injury itself is okay but it's the rest of the body and the conditioning that it mm. takes time to get back when I came back in 06 um, I, I, there's no way I would have when I came on for the final in, in the, cha- uh, the Highland Cup final in Cardiff you know I came on for four minutes if I had had to come on in that game after two minutes would I have been able to play 78 minutes at the pace required no chance the only reason I was on the bench is because Mick O'Driscoll was kind of covering back had back row cover as first kind of player off the bench so um, even that summer I went to New Zealand had a really good pre-season and I, I only started to feel myself um, right. probably the following September so it does take a few be months a bit of an impact it's, so yeah, yeah and look he's He's someone in the position he's in that um, he's very skillful, but it takes a little bit of time to get the conditioning right. And, and look, hopefully he can get a run now and get a bit of luck for himself. Uh, we'll talk to you a lot more later in the week about the game against Scotland. But by the time you're in again on Friday, the team will be a, probably been named by then, or maybe it's Friday afternoon actually with the game on Sunday. It looks as though Ireland are going to be in a good place injury-wise, that Henshaw, Furlong, Gibson Park, Sexton will all be fit. Ring Rose, Maybe Ring Rose will yeah. be back. Has anyone done enough when we're looking at team selection to keep them out of the team? Um, no, you've got to put them all back in, to be honest. I think Stuart McCluskey had you know, performed very well in the first two games. Obviously, what happened in Rome, that combination of Stuart McCluskey and Bundyaki didn't didn't really work because you know Bundy is not an outside centre. He probably um, that whole defensive continuity struggled a little bit. Um, he's a world class inside centre when he's on song. Um, if Gary Ringrose doesn't play and isn't available, I think Robbie Henshaw would go straight to thirteen. He can play there. Uh, very competent player in that position, but Ringrose is at a different level. And he's very important to Ireland's attack as well. And the, you know, there's a lot of talk about the defence, but Ringrose, his overall game has been been outstanding. 
Um, I don't know if anyone keeps him out. Do you play, bring, put Jamison Gibson Park straight back into the team? Um, he's been that good for Ireland when he's played for Ireland that you probably do, or do you try and? It just depends, you know. Scotland's going to be very pretty physical, I think, and abrasive, um, and to have the opportunity for Andy Farrell to call on incredible experience and quality, and you know, even you know, you've 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 so much power, and 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 the only thing is, Robbie Henshaw's undercooked for game time. Gibson Park is, Furling is. Um, you know, will they be sharp enough, and can they go out and? Kind of yeah, play this isn't the an easing them back in sort of game. Yeah, it's probably a game then that Scotland are going to, you know, they play with a fair bit of pace and tempo to their game. But these are top class, world class players, and I think for the running, which is these block of two games, I think it's it's a welcome return for for Andy Farrell and uh, for the luxury of being able to call on these players is very good for him. And I think for the first number of games, obviously Wales and France with the injuries, the changes. You know, I think he's learned a lot about his squad depth as well, which is really important for him. All right, Quinny, great stuff. Cheers, we'll have thanks, plenty more build-up to Scotland against Ireland later in the week. Are you bringing that can of seven up with you? Um, Just no, walking around I with it all day. No, no, walking no, down no. the street. It'll, it'll, taste good, the street. it'll, it'll backfire because, uh, <laughs> as I said, Bournemouth on Saturday, they'll probably do it. Right, well, you've got to, you enjoy it for the next five days. Uh, plenty of highlights for you on the OTB Podcast Network if you're looking for something to keep you going during the day at work. The Sunday pay-per-view is up there uh, right now. Kenny Cunningham was on live match commentary yesterday with Stephen Doyle and you can get all his reaction to Liverpool's 7-0 win over Manchester United and all the rest of the weekend uh, in the football stream and also there's plenty of weekend GAA post-match reaction as well. Uh, Ashling was up at that Dublin Derry game at uh, in Derry and also up at Tyrone against Kerry yesterday as well. So all of that up on the OTB Podcast Network right now. Quick break and then we're back with the Anfield Raps. Harriet Pryor. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. It is Monday morning's OTB AM. Nathan and Shane with you this morning. Harriet Pryor of the Anfield Rap is with us. How are you, Harriet? Yeah, I'm feeling good this morning. Thank you very much. How are you? It's a different tone than when I asked Daniel Harris how he was about an hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was. Yeah, I think any any one set of fans has come out of that match feeling remotely good yesterday. Uh, Where the hell did that come from? Yeah, I have no idea. No one was expecting that at all. People were going into the game very much talking up Manchester United. And that was from a Liverpool side of things as well. A lot of people expected them to come to Anfield yesterday and continue the really good run of form that they've been on. There was a lot of talk about Rashford and all their players that have been really in form at the moment. And then, yeah, Liverpool managed to, to pull out not just a win, but an emphatic win, 7-0. No, no one was expecting that whatsoever. So, yeah, a lot of very surprised fans in the stadium as the goals were going in and in and in again. So uh, a very fun night to, to be at Anfield and soaking up all the atmosphere. Yeah, what was the feeling around the ground at full time and leaving? Because I thought it was a, an interesting comment one of the pundits made on Sky of, you know, if you win 3-1 or if you grind out a last-minute victory, there's a, a real sense of, you know, we have we have beaten these guys. We have, we've actually had to go. We've had to fight for our lives for this. Like, it was almost... It was too easy for Liverpool at the end. 
<laughs> I don't think many fans care too much about the fact that it, it was too easy. I think that you think back to last season and even the beginning of this season, actually, and, and when we lost to Manchester United, but the results in particular we got against them last season, that feeling of just pure joy. And I think that's what a lot of fans felt last night. A little bit of disbelief because I think a lot of people genuinely couldn't believe what they were seeing and thought maybe they were, they were dreaming for a little bit of that game. But I think because of the context of this season in particular and the fact that it hasn't been going so well, they have struggled with form at times. That's why it felt like such a big let off because it was like, you feel like as fans, you've been kind of working up to this point, you've been going through highs and lows and that felt like a massive high. And I think a lot of fans deserved that as well last night because, you know, that everyone, everyone has had a bit of a, a difficult time following Liverpool at times this season, although recently it's obviously been great. So yeah, I don't, I don't think it mattered too much that there wasn't too much tension in the last 10 minutes. I think some people quite enjoyed that for a change. I did at least. <laughs> there was a, there was almost that feeling as the goals were going in of that Simpsons meme stop. They're already dead. Like, and, and Klopp even waving his finger at the, at the cop after the game. He, he was refusing to do his usual fist pumps. That, that shows how embarrassing a defeat it was for United. Because it was pity. Even he was you like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. He fist pump. That's what it was. But there was that element, Harriet, that it was almost such a, such a resounding victory that there was a little bit of embarrassment that they'd won by so much. Well, yeah, and I think if you look at Ten Hag's United team, that how quickly he's managed to turn things around, credit to him, because that team has been so impressive all season and he's had this real sense of togetherness within that within that squad. And I think yesterday he would have watched that game as the manager and just and just kind of seen things fall apart. And he, he spoke post-game about not being impressed with it. I think the lack of intensity, the lack of effort, the lack of fight when they went a few goals down, that was what really shocked me. The only time I really thought that they'd thought to get back into the game was at the very end of the first half after they went 1-0 down and that, in that second half I saw a real lack of fight for them so yeah it was it, it didn't look like a Ten Hag team at all and I'm sure he was very angry and disappointed watching from the touchlines and yeah I think Klopp will always try and be measured after after games in these situations maybe during it he, he um, gets a bit more excited but afterwards he has to carry on because it is still only three points and the, the job is still the same and that's getting top four and that, that kind of task continues again next week. I think Mo Salah said he was going to go home and have a chamomile to celebrate becoming the, the top goal scorer. A, a lot of the focus is understandably going to be on Manchester United and the lack of professionalism that they've been accused of showing in the second half. There are questions about Liverpool and where this has been and what happened yesterday that they were able to look like the Liverpool of old, even though the Liverpool of old is only you know uh, nine months ago, a season ago, where that intensity was because they were winning every breaking ball in that second half. I thought Alexander-Arnold and Robertson, that was the Alexander and Robertson of the last four or five years. We, we haven't seen Trent Alexander-Arnold play those cross-field balls. Now, maybe it's tactically teams have copped onto it. But he didn't seem to have the confidence to play the meter. He's playing them off his right and left foot yesterday and opening up the space. We saw Fabinho was at it. Like Harvey Elliott suddenly looked like a Liverpool midfielder when he's looked like looked like a little boy playing in a Liverpool midfield anytime he's been in there before. And obviously the front three, it all clicked. So is there a possibility this was a one-off that they met the right opposition at the right time who mentally weren't there and actually when they do play Bournemouth who'll be resolute, who'll be happy with a point, who'll grind it out, that actually that might tell us a bit more about where Liverpool are. I think a few of the things you've mentioned there may be a, a slightly unfair. I think Harvey Elliott 
for me, is a really impressive player and always comes in and tries to impose himself. But I do obviously agree that yesterday I thought he was phenomenal. There was a real step up in that performance. But I think there's not been, it's not been for want of trying this season. There has been a definite physical and mental fatigue. There has been a lack of confidence. I mean, you mentioned there Robertson and Trent playing those balls to each other. Those things only start to happen when you can see that Liverpool are playing with real confidence. And that's what I think you saw yesterday. And, and there's been other games this season. The Everton won a couple of weeks ago. Manchester City earlier in the season as well, where Liverpool have really turned up. Bournemouth 9-0. And they need to make sure that they take that and go on a bit of run of consistency and build from there. And, and you're right, make sure that this isn't a, a one-off situation. But for me, yesterday, what you saw was everything kind of click in a way that it hasn't seemed to so well at times this season. The front three really linking up well and Gakpo's relatively new. Nunes is still adjusting. They seem to just finally be clicking and finding that understanding. The midfield finally looked like functional and, and like it had legs again. And I think they've struggled for that this season. The defence looks solid. Having Canate back in alongside Van Dijk has really helped. So there's a few things that have changed. And I think sometimes it only takes a player coming back from injury. Maybe it's Canate in this case coming back in to have a really big impact on the rest of the team. And hopefully they can take that and move forward with a load of confidence that they'll get from that, that result as well. People were quite quick to criticise Darwin Nunez and Cody Gakpo as, as signings that, that weren't working quickly enough for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. But, I mean, Gakpo especially, the, some of his finishes, that second goal, the little chip over to here, um, was just sensational. He, he's, he's clearly a player that knows how to find the back of the net. So these two signings all of a sudden look amazing. Yeah, it's difficult. It's been difficult for him to come into a team that's struggling for form. It's always more difficult than, for example, Diaz last season, who's coming into a team that's absolutely flying. I mean, Gakpo had no time to settle. He was being thrown in straight from the start and in a position that he wasn't familiar with, I'll add as well, because he usually plays on the left and he's been playing through the middle. And so, you know, people were surprised that maybe in two, three games that things weren't, he didn't look incredible and like he'd always been in that Liverpool side. And now look, after only a couple of months, he looks so settled, so calm, looks like he's got that aggression. And I think that's what maybe he was missing a little bit. From, he needs that bit of side of aggression to play in the Premier League. He's adjusting to the pace really well. So definitely looks like a, a really good signing. And, and to be honest, I never, I never doubted that Darwin Nunes would kind of come good if I, if you want to put it like that, because you always saw those signs of promise in the early days, even if it was off the ball and his movement and how he was pressing and not particularly finding the back of the net because he was missing big chances. And now he's doing all of those things that he was doing off the ball and finding the back of the net as well and putting those chances away. So definitely, I think you saw yesterday a glimpse of what the Liverpool of the future could look like and there will ne- still need to be a bit of reinvestment and a bit of a rebuild particularly in midfield but it's not a million miles away I think that w- is what a lot of fans will take from yesterday that there's not too much that ne- still needs to be done and this de- team on its day can still beat some of the best teams in the world Is there is there a, a regret though that that investment is coming a little bit too late for that <clears throat> midfield because when you look at the intensity that they played with and Fabinho and Henderson had some of their better games of the season. If they had, maybe Bellingham wasn't possible, and maybe Mason Mount comes in and he gives them that energy that they want, but it does feel like a bit of a lost season, that if they made the right signings, if they had the energy in midfield, that they could have played with the intensity, that brings the best out of Salah. Like There's no question when Liverpool are added in midfield, when they're winning the ball high up the pitch, that suits Salah very well. And that they, maybe nobody could have predicted, maybe none of the sports signs suggested Fabinho was going to, face this cliff edge that it feels like he's faced this season and that Henderson would have a dip at the same time and that Thiago would continue to be as injury prone as he was but it does feel when you look at that performance that this season has been a bit of a lost season for Liverpool 
Well, I think you touched on it there. The fact that all these things kind of happen at the same time with key players, no one could ever have predicted. And it was always going to be a bit of a balancing act. But look, this is a side that we've, we've mentioned it so many times almost won everything last season, won two trophies, got to the final day of the Premier League into the Champions League final. So could anyone have expected that there would be such a downturn in form like there was in the first part of the season? Absolutely not. So it's easy to say now with hindsight, obviously. And, and yes, a lot of people thought there should have been new midfielders brought in in the summer. And, and that was, you know, a mistake. And the manager accepted that himself, that they should have brought someone in a bit sooner. And they brought in Artemelo on a bit of a panic buy on, on, on loan. So, Definitely a sense of regret, but also I don't think I don't think you could have predicted that some of the things that have happened this season have with with key players informed to them, like you mentioned. So it's it, it doesn't feel like a lost season, and I, and I don't know quite why at the moment, but it does feel like we needed to have a season in transition. And if we're coming out the back end of that, kind of finding that and finding that form again, and seeming to to go on that push for top four, and if we finish in top four in particular, I don't think it will be a wasted season because it will just be one in transition, hopefully building. To, to better things for next year. Jurgen Klopp confirming after the game, Harriet, that, that uh, Roberto Firmino will be leaving as a free agent this summer. And I mean, judging by the by the scenes on the TV, it seemed like the biggest cheer of the, of the evening when uh, when he got that final goal. It seemed like a, a really special moment for him and for, for all the Liverpool fans, I suppose. Yeah, it was perfect for him to be able to come on and then to be able to score, just put the cherry on top of the cake. He's such a popular figure at, at Liverpool. He's someone that you can really buy into. He's someone that all the fans want to be friends with, everyone can get on board with. And he's given us so many special moments throughout the years. And he he's also a player that's been there since the very start of Jurgen Klopp. And there's only a couple of them left now. And so he has that rare insight of, of knowing what it's like to go through that whole journey with the manager. And we've seen that journey really unfold and, and see how he's progressed as well because I think you know we've seen the rise of his career and seen him win it all and, and it's sad because we're losing another key part of that classic front three Mane went last summer and now yeah Firmino is, is going to go it looks like this summer and that's obviously really sad and a, a, for a sentimental reason a lot of fans will want to keep him around and, and hold on to that but maybe it is the right time for him to go and if he feels that that is what's best for him at the moment then no one can begrudge that and we can all look back at his time at Liverpool with really happy memories and hopefully he gets to share a few more of those with the fans this season because he had got another one last night to share with all of us and he was absolutely delighted and so were the fans and I'd love a few more of those before he goes. Well, Wednesday week, Bernabeu, all of a sudden, 5-2, doesn't look like a massive task, does it? Oh, we were all saying this last night. Oh, well, if we can, if we can get seven goals against United, then maybe just maybe. But I think, yeah, it's still obviously going to be the, the toughest game that we'll probably face this season going to the Bernabeu. We saw how quickly Real Madrid can and break you in minutes when they came to Anfield. But it definitely will give them a sense of confidence and belief. Like, look how many goals you scored in the period of 45 minutes. If you just get one early one against Madrid, then anything can happen. And I think a lot of fans will probably be feeling that way as well after last night. Yeah, if it was at Anfield, the second leg, I think the talk would be that this is most definitely doable, particularly what happened Absolutely. against Barcelona in the in the semi-final. And look, the way momentum works with Liverpool, who knows? You get one goal, you've got plenty of time to get a couple more back. No away goals anymore, so none of that matters. Uh, Mo Salah, we cannot finish up without mentioning him. He's now Liverpool's all-time leading scorer in the Premier League era, of course. Uh, Ian Rush is like, oh, remember me guys, remember me, remember me back here? Uh, remember some of these things that I did once upon a time? Didn't happen, Ian. Didn't happen. Uh, yesterday, he was 
at his very, very best. And the question as to what's a great season is probably one. He set the bar so high that he hasn't quite reached it uh, this year. But yesterday we saw what he is still capable of, both with his finishing and the volley, like right-footed, smashing it in. And It was a volley, also, wasn't it? Yeah, great that volley. One was a, that one was a, it was a nice volley, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think the pass as well, the speed that he was able to turn Lissandro Martinez inside out, but then how quickly he was able to spot that Martinez had fallen over and pick out the pass for Cody Gakpo was probably the best passage of, of the entire game. Like Salah, he still has this, and as Liverpool do that rebuild, there was people questioning, like, should he have signed that new contract just a couple of weeks ago? His, his form, if you're watching him every game, every minute this season, is it that far off where it's been in previous years? Look, you're talking about a player that's just scored over 20, uh, 20 goals in, in all comms for the, another consecutive season since he's been at Liverpool. So I, I'm never going to be one that's going to talk him down and say that he shouldn't have stuck around and signed that contract. Imagine if, if we'd have let him go, because by the way, fans were waiting for that contract renewal to happen for months and months and months before it did. And there was a lot of anger around the fact that he hadn't signed yet. So imagine if we'd have let Mo Salah go. And he keeps proving, like you mentioned, why... He deserves to be around and deserves to be considered one of the very best because he just pops up in these moments with, with sheer brilliance, with sheer just desire to win the ball, to score the goal. And I think you see when he does break that record and he, he celebrates in the manner that he does how much it means to him because he's often a very calm figure, Salah. You don't, you don't really see much off the pitch. Maybe he doesn't do too many interviews. You don't really see him talking in that passionate sense too often. But then in those moments where you can tell it just means everything to him. He really shares that with the fans and he allows people an insight into how much he, he just loves playing for Liverpool and he loves this football club. And I think you saw that again. And he's definitely a part of the rebuild for me. And I know he is getting to the latter age of his career now, but if you are bringing in new forwards, who better to learn from than Mo Salah? He's, he's one of the, the very best that's played for this football club, I think, and will be considered that way for years to come. All right, Harriet, enjoy the day. Thank you very much. I'm sure I will. <laughs> Harry Pryor there from the Anfield Wrap. Uh, a couple of th- other things happened over the weekend. We haven't touched on, but I'm sure we'll come back to over the weekend. Rory McIlroy almost did it last night. The Ooh. Arnold Palmer Invitational. Kurt Kitayama. Hang on, this was brilliant stuff. Uh, it's one of these elevated events. You got all the big guns there. Yeah. John Ram started the week brilliantly, faded rapidly. I did look at one stage last night, like we might have a maybe an eight-man playoff with Speed, Scheffler, <laughs> and McIlroy, uh, but. The last. What's the most we've ever had in a playoff? In a PGA I think tournament? there's been a... Recently it was a six-man playoff. Class. Um, but this would have been just the quality of players. But uh, Kurt Kitayama, in fairness to him, hung on in there. Uh, Rory, interesting comment. He was leading on 14, but said he wasn't looking at the leaderboard and sort of assumed he was still behind and probably took on a tee shot in 14. He wouldn't have taken on if he had known he was actually in front. So, I don't know, was that a little error of judgment? But yeah. he played well this week without being exceptional. Sort of like Scotty Scheffler, but like this couldn't be better set up. We're uh, just about a month away from the Masters. Perfect timing, isn't it? Three weeks away from the Masters, uh, just over three weeks away from the Masters, and you've got Scheffler, Ram, and McElroy both all red hot right now. Uh, so that's set up nicely. Matt Doherty made his Atletico Madrid debut. Finally. I mean, got 12 minutes in a 6-1 win over Sevilla, but probably disappointing actually for Matt Doherty because uh, Molina, the Argentinian right back, uh, was out. So you sort of thought maybe he'd just slot in, but they actually changed the entire system to not play Matt Doherty. Mm. Uh, so he's not going to get a huge amount of game time. I did the Everton game yesterday. Seamus Coleman was brilliant. See, this is the thing. He's coming into form at the perfect time for the Republic of Ireland. Like, I guess... Stephen Kenny's looking at the likes of Matt Doherty with a little bit of concern because before the France game, 
you need to play players that are playing, don't you? That's the argument for Evan Ferguson to be thrown straight in because at least he's playing and scoring goals. So yeah, there's decisions to be made there, but maybe Matt Doherty plays left wing back, possibly. Regardless, I don't know. There are, there are big decisions to make there and that's certainly one of them for Stephen Kenny. My big thing from the weekend, Nathan, was Fernando Alonso's performance at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. Uh, brilliant. Started fifth on the grid with Aston Martin. There was a lot of buzz out of Aston Martin in testing, pre-season testing. They were very, very speedy. Um, and then went down to seventh uh, straight away. He was hit from the back by his own teammate, Lance Stroll, in the first corner. Uh, one of the first corners. And uh, yeah, eventually, some serious overtaking manoeuvres on Carlos Sainz and Lewis Hamilton to get a brilliant podium finish for Aston Martin. Like The problem with Formula 1, I'm, I'm worried that like it's going to be a... Repetitive this yeah, year. Procession. Total was saying they're miles off it afterwards. And Max Verstappen's just so much better than everyone. Even his own teammate, Checo Perez. He's just... It could get to the point where it's boring. He's he's pulling away and streaking away. Look, it's very, very early days. It's only after one weekend. But uh, yeah, certainly the early signs are that it's Verstappen's to lose once again. John Doe says Liverpool 17, Manchester United 2, aggregate score over the last two seasons. I went back and it was Liverpool have scored 21 goals in their last five games against United. Jeez. That's the same amount they scored in the previous 10 seasons combined. Is it one goal in eight United have scored at Anfield in their last eight games? Like, I, I'm all of the uh, Snapchat and WhatsApp groups today between friends who are Liverpool and United fans are just split. How many fans across the country this morning are not speaking to each other? It causes ructions, causes fights. We had Snapchat uh, groups. Are people uh, still on Snapchat? I'm only on Snapchat because I, we have that one You're group. too old for Snapchat. I am way too old for Snapchat, but instead of WhatsApp, we have the Snapchat group that uh, all the, the lads from, from home in Monaghan are into. We need to move it over to WhatsApp, let's be honest, lads. But um, yeah, it was hopping yesterday. Of course, the Liverpool fans were. were out Barry force. Power says Liverpool will have an open top bus parade at the end of the season for beating United. Meanwhile, United will win minimum one more trophy this season. Funny, like if you had said to me before the game, uh, one of these teams is going to win 7 0. I mean, based on form, you're like, well, okay, maybe. I mean, it's a, it would have been a shock, but United would have, could have done it. But that result yesterday has just come, come out of the blue. How both teams respond? Like, do Liverpool push on from here? Do United react during the week? Well, Liverpool are already pushing on is the thing in that they've kept five clean sheets in a row now yeah, in the Premier League. Well. They are on a run of form. It's just how far can they sustain that? They've got a massive month coming up where they play, or a massive week Tough at fixtures. the beginning of next month where they play Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal in quick succession. But They're the form team for top four, aren't they? Out of Europe. Well, they are because Tottenham and Newcastle are um, both stuttering massively. Back-to-back promotions on the cards for Cavan. Shane, Cavan lad at... Uh, our Cavan lad 100 who said that Shane refuses to acknowledge anything to do with Cavan <laughs> so one day he's off we'll uh, do a nice little feature yeah. on Cavan and Adrian McGrath uh, responding to Anthony Moyle's comments three match ban for simulation that leads to a card it needs to be called out then name the biggest players in the game who do it you probably would end it pretty quickly if you had retrospective action against yeah. a couple of players after a weekend and said three match ban you're done you're going to miss the first game of the championship I mean players would not dive whatsoever yeah the, the issue as Anthony Moyle said was is officiating and there's so much pressure on referees. You have to feel some sympathy for them because they're, even with the, with the overcarrying stuff, I mean, counting, counting steps and then keeping an eye on offensive marks and all the rest and off-the-ball incidents, they've an impossible task. Sympathy for refs. That's a nice way to finish the show. Uh, we're back on the radio tomorrow night, uh, tonight even. We'll be back tomorrow night as well, but we'll definitely be here tonight uh, from 7 o'clock. Full night in the League of Ireland tonight. Going we'll to see if Rovers can finally get themselves a victory this evening. Up Bad. against Cork City. What's wrong with Shamrock Rovers? Cork City. Well, if all their centre half could stop getting sent off, they might have a chance. Second from bottom in the league, beaten by Derry. Played all right, though, I thought. 
played all it's right. Good for the, it's, no, it's, no need to panic just yet. It's good for the league. It's the opposite That's what we're of the, all about here. Yeah, it's good the, for the league. The opposite of the Max Verstappen problem. We yeah. have uh, the best team kind of faltering a little bit. It was a good game. It was a good game between Derry and Shamrock Rovers. So uh, we'll be reflecting, obviously, much, much more on Liverpool and Manchester United on the radio tonight from 7. Monday night, rugby in there as well. And then on tomorrow morning show from half past 7, Rashid Adeleke's coach, Johnny Fox, will be on. We'll have more reaction to Liverpool's 7-0 win against Manchester United, uh, continuing our build-up to the Scotland game in the Six Nations. Adrian and Shane will be in the hot seat. And Kenny Cunningham is going to join the lads in studio. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.